0: to another episode of your favorite swim bait podcast scales and tails episode 90 or crescent we're getting there only a couple more till uh, episode 100 i don't i don't really have anything special planned for 100 so maybe maybe i need to uh maybe i need to start you know coming up with some ideas start planning some stuff but so funny enough last episode you guys listened to was mr uh with mr ben Linnell from uh well, where was he crap colorado He he's from he's from that west that western uh Part of the country. And you know how, for some reason, just a magical way, I interview somebody from a new region of the country. And then I just like, just kind of interview a bunch of people from that, from that area. And it just that's just kind of how it works out. And so, funny enough, I was really like, I wasn't too sure who the next guest was going to be. And then this kind of panned out how it did. So, funny enough, we are interviewing a guy who, uh, you're in southern Utah right now, right? That's where you that's where your residence is, is southern Utah.
1: Yep. Southern Utah. You're right. Alrighty. So,
0: so we're, we're still kind of sticking with that theme, you know, maybe we'll make it to California we've only had a couple guys from California, but as of now we're in the, we're in that West part of the U S so we're joined by Mr. Trevor Tippets, who, uh, who I, like I said, is a, is a guy from Southern Utah and we're going to pick his brain about, you know, all sorts of stuff that fishing out there in the West, uh, Mexico. Um, is it Lake Baccarat? Is that who you go through?
1: Correct. Yep. Lake Bacarac Lodge. Lodge.
0: The one okay, that we've yeah. done. So, so I want to I talk about Mexico a lot because uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys know about Lake Backrack Lodge and, and the amazing fishing opportunities there. And I think the only other person we've had on that I've actually talked to was Noah Rosetta. And that was a little while ago. Ross was just on and I completely forgot to talk to him about it because I know he's been... Uh, once or maybe twice now, but we've, we've got a whole big, uh, big agenda that we want to talk about today. So we're just going to get right into it. So Mr. Trevor, how did you enter into this magnificent world of fishing? Where'd you get your start? How did it, uh, how did it become a financial problem for you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. And uh, like you said, heading out West, I think Ben, it was in Wyoming, but close to Colorado. So yeah, yeah, you made it over to Utah and happy to be the first guest on from this state, I think, but Um, as far as getting into it, man, it's, it was back when I was like 10, 11 years old, something like that. And went on a family camping trip to the central Utah mountains. There's this lake called Willow Lake where it's like exactly what you'd expect of a high mountain, you know, forest, pine trees coming down to the water's edge, just beautiful, beautiful scenery. And, uh, we show up and, you know, it's a family reunion. So there's a bunch of family members there and, Someone says, hey, Uncle Grant's over there, you know, fishing. You should go say hi to him. So I go walking over and he asks if I've ever seen a tiger trout, which I haven't. And mm-hmm. anybody who has knows how pretty they are. But he holds up a stringer full of like six tiger trout and I'm <laughs> blown away. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is like the coolest thing ever. So hung out with him, you know, like I said, Clearwater Lake. So we're like sight fishing these tiger trout and uh, something I'll never forget and kind of gave me that bug. And we're, I mean, Willow Lake is like two hours from the nearest town. And, uh, that next day we woke up and there was a, like a Zebco, I don't know what it was. One of those like spin cast rod and reel combos. Yeah. Sitting outside the tent, like brand new. And, uh, my uncle's like, Hey, I got this for you. And I'm just sitting there like, what? Did, like, he drove to, did he drive to town to get this or does he just cruise around with like a fishing combo in his car? Yeah um and anyway like that i still have that rod i've snapped off the eyelet and fans and car doors and everything and glued it back together and it's like that's like a prized possession because i've had that thing now for 20 something years that's so
0: awesome dude i um i know some guys who have you know gotten whether it be like uh, heirlooms for firearms like they get their first shotgun and you know they shoot their first duck or squirrel with it, and I know a couple of guys have like done that with rods and reels and stuff too. And I think that's super cool when, when you have something that gets you interested into a hobby, and then, you know, fast forward ten, twenty, thirty years, that that hobby is kind of like consumed you, and that that's what you do in your free time, and it it just kind of made you who you are. I think that's super cool. I remember my first rod; it was like some electric lime green spinning rod, <laughs> and I don't actually know where that thing went, but. I think it's super cool that that you still have that because that is like a core memory. I feel like is something that's super super awesome. And I, dude, I I bet you there's probably not many guys who still have their first rod. Like I said, it's, it's kind of <laughs> a common thing in like the firearm industry, like everybody having their first gun. But I feel like first rod is like super special.
1: Yeah, and like what's cool is I have a bunch of old pictures and stuff and. I only had that one rod for like 10 years. And so to see the pictures of fish that I've caught on it and like those memories that were made, it's, I'll never get rid of it. And yeah, that like that one rod changed my life. But, uh, yeah, I, it's definitely something that, like you said, has become an addiction and taken me all over. And, uh, actually Ben, uh, was talking about a lake up in, you know, Northern Utah, Lake Trout Lake. And, um, that same uncle, it was like a few a few months after that trip to Willow Lake, and that lake. It's too bad because it's changed so much, and now there's no longer, you know, the the pine trees. It had those beetles. Have you ever heard about those beetles out west that will like tear up an entire forest? No. Oh,
0: uh, I I honestly think we have them here. Like in Michigan, you can't transport firewood and stuff from like campsite to campsite.
1: Same reason. Yeah. So that 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 whole like every tree is gone. It's just like this dirt pond now and we haven't been back but anyway a few months later my uncle's like hey i'm going to this lake we're gonna go you know catch lake trout and salmon and we're gonna go do this and i'm like man i want to go on that trip and he's like oh you're you know you're too young you're not man enough yet and i'm like i'm man enough i could do this i want to go on a fishing trip and uh anyway he was like well you got to earn it you got to earn this trip so he we went to dinner and anyway he you know what rocky mountain oysters are or like best of the bowl.
0: Yeah, but explain explain that
1: uh, to people who don't know what they are. <laughs> so it's like a it's a deep fried bull testicle, right? Not like the whole thing, right? It's like a yeah. tater tot, right? But yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's like, "Well, <laughs> if you uh, if you'll eat some of these, if I order these and you eat some, then I'll take you I'll take you on this fishing trip." And I dude, I didn't care. I had eaten like the whole plate, but anyway, um, do that go on this fishing trip with him and uh have an amazing time like 3 days in the middle of uh this beautiful scenery up there as well and all of a sudden the storm rooms in or storm rolls in like they do in Utah uh, in the summer and in the fall anyway he's like he's like grab the dog and you know lay in the bottom of the boat cuz this is going to get gnarly and had to siphon gas got stuck out there we're we're lucky we didn't die because it's like one of those situations where we're soaking wet Barely yeah. made it to shore waters all over. The, like one of those things where went from beautiful mountain scenery to like almost dying in the middle of this huge Lake that I was just like, man, this is, this is crazy, but this is fun. And we got some fish to fillet and an, another memory that like, I'll never forget, but had to earn it. And uh, yeah, I've never eaten another one of those Rocky mountain oysters. since. Um,
0: the question was that I had when you were telling that story is, Did you go out that morning after your uncle had gotten you that rod and did you guys end up catching a bunch of fish? Like, did that get you hooked after you caught your first fish there?
1: Yeah, uh, we did. And we've gone back like years after, um, while we were still doing that family reunion, you know, I got like a float tube, but, uh, yeah, we went back out the next day and it's like, I don't even remember a lot of the details, but it was like tiger trout, cutthroat, brook trout and rainbow. And, uh, anyway, some of the tiger trout we were catching were like 24, 25 inches. And back then, right. Like a 12 incher was big. Yeah. But looking back, these were way bigger fish than we even realized at the time. And you'd go catch 15 to 20 in a morning. And, uh, it, we, we were spoiled because it was just like, I don't know, man, those, those days you dream of, I guess you could call it.
0: Damn dude, that is so sick. And so, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks and was this the lake that Ben was talking about that the... That that state record slash pending world record lake trout had gotten caught out of, or was this a different lake?
1: Yeah, the world record's from a lake in Colorado. This is the one that's in Wyoming slash Utah. And anyway, it's it's full of fish, right? Like we that was the first time I ever caught bass, and we thought they were chub, which is like a bait fish out here, kind of like a yeah. sucker.
0: Yeah, like uh, a, a creek chub, like a horny creek
1: chub. Yeah, yep. Yeah, they're called a um, <laughs> the name skips me, but um they, they look like a golden shiner and they're in a lot of these lakes and we were catching like 10 inch and 12 inch bass every cast Oh wow! and we, we just kept saying like oh these are chub oh these are chub oh these are chub uh <laughs> but it's it's a cool lake because like he said you can catch you know a 40 pound lake trout to a five pound smallmouth to a five pound kokanee and there's plenty of big browns and rainbows and it's it's a, a very healthy fishery uh Burbit got in there a few years ago and kind of took a toll on some of the fish species but
0: your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by leviathan rods leviathan rods is a texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end made in the usa rod blanks. every sale from leviathan helps support foster youth and their families with leviathan rods you're not only going to feel a difference but you're going to help make a difference too friends of the show will also get 20 percent off their rod purchases by using code scales 20 at checkout so whether you're fishing at depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods.
1: Um. Anyway, it's it's a great place to go target multiple species and have a good time doing it.
0: Oh man, Ben's going to listen to this episode and he's going to hear you talk down on burbot, you know, put some slander on their name. That was one thing <laughs> we didn't get to. Ben absolutely loves burbot and we, we, we were talking after we recorded. He's like, oh my gosh, we didn't get to talk about burbot. I'm so mad. <laughs>
1: That's episode 100, man, the burbot bash. Yeah, the, bur- <laughs> the Burbit, yeah, man. Um, so did you,
0: I, it may have slipped me, did you mention how old you were when your uncle and you would, that first reunion that you guys got into fishing?
1: I was like 10 or 11 that time. Um, and then I think we went, he, he ended up passing away when I was like 15. Um, so we only got a few years of doing that trip. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was like early, early teenager. Um, okay. and so yeah, I mean we only got a couple fishing trips in before he passed, but it's one yeah. of those things that stuck with me.
0: Right. And after that and after after this adventure out in, in in surviving this storm, you know, all I can think of is uh when the when the guy when the guy in the boat's battling the whale and it's like downpouring and there's huge rollers. That's just all I have pictured in my head right now. But <laughs> so after that where you guys lived back then or at the time or wh- whatever it may be, was there like a big fishing presence? Were you able to go, you know, walk down or bike down to a lake or a Creek or anything and go catch fish? Or was it kind of a secluded thing that you only got to do during those reunions? And, and when you gotten invited on trips with family members?
1: Yeah, good question. So we've got a lot of lakes around. I was, I mean, at the time I was living in salt Lake and, uh, there's just not a ton of water. We have like the Provo River, and Utah's just a big trout state. Like we're from top to bottom, east to west. There's it. It just sets up for trout being the high elevation that we we have, and that's kind of the DWR's focus. So a lot of it was you know trout fishing streams, creeks. Um, not very many ponds around at the time. But what would ha- like what happened is there was this store uh, near my house called Angler's Inn. And it was kind of like, had everything, you know, from trout to trolling to casting to bass, even some saltwater stuff, even though we're, you know, a couple hundred miles away from any saltwater, they were kind of like the do-it-all shop. And uh, they were, this was in like middle school, I would ride the bus home and the last stop was at Angler's Inn. So rather than like a daycare, right, I would ride the bus, I'd get off and I'd go into Angler's Inn and look at the pictures and ask questions. And my parents just knew that if I wasn't home, that's where I was. And so yeah. they would come and find me. And, you know, I bought the first lure I ever bought with my own money. was a hula popper and like a head and hula popper. I'm sure you've seen it with like the oh, skirt yeah. and the, the frog skirt. looking thing. And I, you know, it, he, this guy showed me a picture of a large mouth he caught on that and said it was on top water. And anyway, I, that lure is tucked away in a box somewhere and I've never thrown it, never caught a fish on it. But I still remember like, that was the first lure I spent money on at Anglers Inn, and uh, anyway, to bring that back to the question is, I'd go in there and say, "Hey, where do I catch, you know, a largemouth? Where do I catch a smallmouth? Where do I catch this?" And they would, you know, Cal Keener was this guy that would kind of clue me into stuff and you know throw this half ounce white spinner bait and these tulies at this lake, and sure enough, I'd go out there and catch a few, and, and it's like, oh man, where else can I go do this? So he. He and the people that worked at Angler's Inn were a huge resource as far as like experimenting new water and new pattern and showing me what knots to tie and kind of all sorts of stuff. They were like my daycare for a couple of years, honestly.
0: Dang, that's awesome. So, I mean, at 13 or 14, you had a pretty good comprehension of, of fishing and, 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 you know, what baits to tie and what knots to use and stuff by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah. And they, so, you know, Cal said, Hey, you need to get off the shore and ended up buying, a, I ended up buying a float tube mm-hmm. and kind of experimenting around some of the lakes with that. And I mean, my parents bless their heart. They, they, like, I remember I used to tell my dad, Hey, I want to go fish, you know, Jordan L yeah. or Manaway, And these are like an, well, Jordan L is pretty close, but Manaway's like an hour away. And he, he'd say, all right, what time you want to wake up? And they would drive me to these places to go fish, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd always have to be within sight because they were afraid that that float tube would throw me out to the middle or whatever. But yeah, my parents would kind of drive me all over the state. And, you know, I bought this book, like the Utah fishing guide and it covered every lake in the state and I'd highlight stuff in there and see species and, Hey, I want to go check out this lake. And they never once said, no, they never once, you know, like questioned it. They would just say, okay, what time do we need to go? And you know, what time can we be back? And so I got, like, there was this lake called Jordan that was, like I said, it's up in Park City, like 30 minutes away from home. And at the time, I didn't even know this, but there was, like, giant smallmouth. I mean, there's been a few eight-pounders out of there, uh, plenty of sevens, handful mm. of sixes. And uh, I would go up there, and I would sight fish some of these fish in these creeks, mm-hmm. and with, like, a little single tail grub. And, you know, I'd catch, like, ten fish in a day and thought I – just won the bass master classic, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I got to go buy more grubs dad. And yeah. Anyway, I, they, they took me all over town or all over the state. I should say, you know, just kind of after the next bite that they told me about it anglers in and yeah, that's, that's, that was a special place. And I mean, it still is, but yeah. So I, I came across bill dance, right. Is like, I'd, I'd go, I I went from trout to bass because of bill dance and watching TV and that's when it was like, hey, I want to catch bass. Where do I go? And anyway, they kind of pointed me in the right direction.
2: Yeah.
0: Not to, not to like put an age to you, but how, how, or how long ago was this? Was this like early 90s?
1: So, oh man, as far as like years go, putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. So I, if I was, I was born in 89. So this would, yeah, this would be like early 2000s. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 2000. Yeah. 2000. And, and this is like, so it went from like anglers in being the big knowledge base, um, to then where like there was forums, like fishing forums Yeah. and you know, that led into like swim nation, which we can get to later. But there was a couple in Utah called like Freeform fishing and big fish tackle. And you'd go on there and people would post their stories and like what worked and it mm-hmm. blew up to where all of a sudden like, people wouldn't share anything on there. Yeah, but you'd keep seeing the same guys talk about bass, and you know, I, I linked up with some of those guys when I was like fourteen, fifteen, <laughs> and honestly, like, so I was playing little league football at the time, and I'll never forget. I'm at a friend's house, and the mom is like, "So you like fishing?" And yeah, I, you know, I went fishing on on Saturday, and who'd you go with? And I'm like, "Oh, some guy I oh, met God. online." <laughs> And my mom calls, and she's like, "So you might need to." When I, well, when my mom picked me up, she's like, "You might need to change your story to people because Heidi Nielsen thinks you're like meeting predators online and going fishing with yeah, them." And yeah. Anyway, nothing bad ever happened, but you know, there was bass rods and War Child and LDR and all these guys on there that I had never met, and yet, you know, hey, let's drive up to Idaho and fish for largemouth yeah. out of a float tube and just just stuff you look back on and it's like, man, I could have gotten kidnapped, but I loved fishing and these guys were catching fish. So let's jump in the truck and go.
0: Dude, that sounds like a pinnacle. Like if, if I could pick, I, I would go do that. Like around that time, that sounds, I mean, relative to, to the, uh, the foreseeable problems you could run into, <laughs> but oh. like, I mean that that is super badass, and I guess I kind of had the same upbringing, but it was it was more of like an Instagram thing. It wasn't like an old form where where you're talking on the public forum and you guys are meeting up to go fish and stuff like that. Is so cool to think about. I mean, I met so many people, and even now, like when I when people are like, "Oh, you know, I I saw you just went on vacation. Where'd you go?" I'm like, "Oh, Virginia." They're like, "Oh, who'd you?" Who'd you go see? I'm like, oh, some friends I met on the internet and they're like, oh my gosh, you're so crazy, blah, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I mean, back then, I mean, back then that was tenfold as scary as it is now, like, as far as like being a parent, I'm sure.
1: Oh yeah. And like I remember some like to this day, some of my good good friends that I still fish with are from those forums. You know, wow. Johnny U, Tommy gun, ScarTinas, there's all these guys, and we joke around and like still use usernames, but this was like back in the MapQuest days. And yeah. there were these two dudes, War Child and LDR, that I had never met, but they were catching giant largemouth. And they were like, hey, if you can be at our house at three, this is in like far north Utah, like an yeah. hour and 45 minutes away. They're like, we'll go into Idaho and we'll, you know, we'll, we can catch like 50 largemouth. And so I'm tripping. I'm like, mom, we got to go. She throws the um float tube in the trunk of the BMW. We print out the MapQuest we drive up there and it's this field like it's not even a house it's a field and i see this trailer door open and this dude comes out with a wife beater and he starts waving me over yeah and i'm like i was like mom i don't want to go and she's like i didn't drive an hour and 45 minutes just to turn around like you're going fishing so no joke we like tie the stuff down we go into idaho fish into the dark, have a great time catching largemouth on buzzbaits and Senkos and kind of everything. We come back in, they buy me dinner, they buy me a lottery ticket. And uh, we show up at their trailer and my mom's waiting for me. And I, to this day, still have pictures from a point and shoot out there on this little float tube only reservoir. And I mean, there was one point, it was like my debit card picture. That's how stoked I was on a three pound largemouth on a buzzbait, you know?
0: dang dude that is like you're giving me like chills because i'm like whoa like this sounds like crazy and it's what's even crazier is you're doing this like you're fishing a float tube you know we'll say 2003 ish and i mean behind the forms there i mean you you got guys like butch and and huddleston and all of them that are you know catching these big fish on swim baits and back then I mean that those were those guys are like the pioneers of it and I mean nobody had any idea and looking back on it was that a crazy thought or did you ever see anybody mention you know any style of swim bait back then whether it was like an ac plug or anything on the forums or was it all kind of mostly conventional talk I'm sure until a couple years later when word got out
1: it was all like at that point on the forums it was all lucky craft because that's when that kind of hit the market and like the pointer 78 and the Sammy were huge. Yeah. And really the, like, there was one guy out here that would go to that Lake Jordan and drop shot and, you know, drop shot a gold minnow was his big thing. And he'd always have reports of good fish. There's actually, I mean, there's a state record from that Lake that is supposedly 23 inches. And if anybody wants a laugh, go look up, Utah smallmouth catch and release record because this thing's like eighteen inches and somehow someone signed that it was twenty-three. Oh my gosh. Anyway, he he was up he he I actually went fishing with him once from the forum and you know, he kinda taught me how to drop shot and whatnot. But there was one there was one guy, G Man was his name, because he's a police officer in Utah and uh his name's Rodney, really good friend of mine. And he was the one that kind of shined the light on swim baits out here because people would post their pictures and, you know, whatnot, look at me, rah, rah, look at this. And G-Man was always on there posting stuff and, like, providing info to guys. And then one day he posts this picture of an eight-pound smallmouth. And, it, oh. I mean, this thing's massive. It's I've showed this picture to so many people. I I've showed more people this picture like than any fish I've ever caught just because to me pictures. it was so yeah. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> but that's when it was like, Holy shit, this is what's in this lake. And then I started talking to him because he was in this like bass club, this little club tournament that you know we were involved in. And he's like, Oh, you think that one's cool? Check these out and he's got just a photo album with a six pounder on a slammer, a six pounder on a three sixteen little booger. Um he just had all these giants and he starts telling me the story of this eight pounder and he's like there was you know five or six more with it that were all the same size. And he had been literally like hunting this fish in this specific lake for I want to say a year. Um and then unfortunately that lake kind of crashed and you know those fish are no longer there. But like I said, guys would go up there with lipless and you know catch an eight or a high seven. I caught a six and a quarter there on a on a crankbait and uh just, it was, it was healthy. And he kind of, Rodney kind of transitioned that swim bait bite to, he went down to Mexico and caught some big fish and went pike fishing. And he was kind of the one that opened my eyes to it. And then, you know, he, like, he sold me a baby wake and a shell cracker and he actually gave me a mold. Like he was pouring some, you know, soft swim baits and gave me a mold and the stuff to make it. And Anyway, I poured up a swim bait and went and caught a 28-inch cutthroat on it. And that was that was when my eyes kind of opened to what was possible and um, what the swim bait would do.
0: Yeah. And, dude, I mean, so, sorry, I was just kind of thinking of dates. I mean, what was it, like 2005 is when Mike Shaw started producing the slammer? Like, I, I've i seen slammers that have, like, that 05 time period on it. Had Did you have, like – is that somebody that you had seen on the forums, like posting lake trout pictures and stuff, or was that low key too, as far as like the swim bait stuff went?
1: Yeah, not really. Cause I think and Shaw, Mike Shaw lived in California for a while.
2: Oh, He actually,
1: I've been to his shop cause he lived down in Southern Utah, really close to where I just moved. And now he actually lives up in Northern Utah. Um, but it's pretty cool. He'll let you, I mean, I shouldn't speak for Mike, but, um like i got to go to the shop and he has a picture there of a dude that caught a like a big bull shark or not a bull shark i don't know what kind of shark it was but it's on an ms slammer and the dude shipped it back to mike and was like check this out this is probably the biggest fish that's ever been caught on one of these things and i want to say that bait was from like the mid 90s or something so obviously he's he's been pioneering and been around forever but he's got all sorts of relics inside his shop
0: that's that's so sweet, dude. I'm just I'm I'm still fascinated by you kind of getting to experience like the heyday of that that internet kind of eclipsing of being big in the fishing world, but not being to the point where obviously we're at today or we've been for the last you know handful of years. And that's just such an exhilarating thought that that you got to experience that and and just like, you got to learn stuff, but it wasn't like a toxic place either. I can't imagine, or at least like it is today.
1: Yeah, no. And I mean, what's wild is like, I look back and like I said, some of these guys I met online or in these clubs or fished with at tournaments are my best friends to this day. I've learned a ton from them and they kept me out of a ton of trouble. You know, like, like I said, when I was in high school, um, I had this, you know, Tommy Gunn from the forum, his name's Tommy. He's, he's relocated to California now to Oregon, but mm-hmm. we used to fish that Jordan L, um, every Saturday and Sunday from like the time ice came off until we couldn't fish it anymore. And yeah. you know, people thought it was funny that my best friend was like 53 years old, but man, the memories we have out there on that lake and like leaving a party to, Hey, I got to be at Jordan L at 5.00 AM or whatever yeah. it may be uh just like there was one day we went up there and I made first cast with a gunfish and we had become good friends at this point so we're always giving each other shit and I throw out a gunfish first for gunfish first cast and he throws out a little tiny torpedo like the little head in you know yeah. like the, the dumbest looking lure and anyway I get bit I'm like man get the net this is a big fish and he gets bit and he's like no you get the net mine's a big fish <laughs> so we're sitting there like going back and forth like no you net mine no you net mine and All of a sudden I see his, and so I'm like, oh God, I get the net, I net his, I net mine. Mine was like just over four, and his was a little bit over seven, and it was both of our first cast that, in the day's over, right? Like the day's ruined, you're just like,
0: huh. Yeah, we peaked.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then, okay, well that was cool, and yeah, seven pounder.
0: Yeah, we caught 11, 12 pounds of fish in two casts. First, the two first casts of the day, like, well, might as well pack it up with the trailer back or put the boat back on the trailer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that, so there's so many days like that, that I just look back on and like appreciate those memories, those days, those experiences. Cause like I said, he's moved away now. I can't go fish every Saturday and Sunday like I used to, but it was him willing to take me out. And I think I was, I just good at like backing down the trailer and, you know, getting it. So it wasn't such a pain at the ramp, but yeah anyway i i look back at those days and i i miss a lot of that stuff but i appreciate you know the days i did get out there
0: and and before before we leave the glory days of the early 2000s i want to talk about the float tube because the float tube <laughs> in my opinion has kind of like phased out like that's not when people talk about having like a personal watercraft that's not what people think about now and especially now it's kind of more that that tricked out decked out kayak stuff and Mm -hmm. dude i honestly think the next wave is going to be the stand-up paddle boards like marshall fishes off of i mean there are already so many guys who are doing it it's not expensive to get into and realistically i bet you there's float tubes that are right around that same price but it's just kind of a new thing like the stand-up paddle boards are cool you can put a milk crate on there carry three rods your net and have you know, 15 bait wraps in there on top of a 3,600 or 3,700 deep Plano box. But what was it like? I mean, back then the float tube was like the only way other than a canoe or kayak to get off the bank, right? If you weren't going to shell out, you know, X amount of dollars for a tin rig or a bass boat or something.
1: Yeah. Well, and like I said, you know, my, my mom had a BMW, so it had to fit in the trunk of the car. Uh, but, it, I mean, it was a workout more than anything, right? Because if there was wind, dude, like, I remember there were days out there where I was like, oh, this is it. I'm going to die. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just because you couldn't get back to shore. But it was something cool because, you, like you said, you could only take a limited amount of gear, usually one or two rods at the most. And it forced you to fish, uh, like, efficiently because you had, to, you had to be precise in what you were taking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I always wanted to catch a tiger muskie out of it. I never I don't think I ever did. It would probably be too damn dangerous. Um but like Kevin Matson, do you do you recognize that name out in San Diego? Or I should just say California, but it,
2: it sounds familiar. You,
1: so he caught like a 13 out of a float tube and uh on a frog, 13 pound largemouth. And he I mean he he was kind of like that inspiration. I'd see float tube pictures and be like, man, I want to be like Kevin. Um, but it did also allow you to get to places where other boats and people couldn't, you know, you could, you could hike in and I can't tell you how many times I thought I'd pop my tube, like hiking it into a, a lake somewhere in the Uintas or, you know, high elevation. And yeah, I actually, there was one time I was up at a, it's by Brighton ski resort. There's this little pond up there that has, you know, some stocked fish and you, again, you could sight fish them and see them. And, uh. I'm sitting out there in the middle of float tubing one day and I hear this crashing coming down the hill, like hitting the trees and whatnot. And I thought it was a boulder. It was a big moose. And oh my it, it jumped in the lake and swam out within like, it, it looked like it was swimming right to me. And uh, of course I froze. And I'm like, what am I going to do in this float tube? Um, It swam right, right, right up to me and just kind of cruised over and came on by. And I was just, I remember being, I was like 17 or 18 at that time, but just looking around, like, did anybody else just see that? Cause it was, it was crazy, but yeah i would I would pack that thing into places that other people wouldn't, and uh was able to catch some fish because of it as well.
0: dang dude, and I was gonna say even even uh float tube compared to a paddle board, like relative to bank fishing y- and you touched on being super precise, like you know paddling paddling for five minutes to line up this cast perfectly, and you know you're only gonna get one shot at it that's something that was that was kind of foreign to me because if i'm not if i wasn't fishing from shore i was in you know a kayak or or bass boat and you could you could take you know take your time take two or three casts to get it perfect you know four or five casts whereas like when you're the propulsion system like with your feet and you got to balance and you got to line up the cast got to make sure you're not going to hook the rod behind you like there's there's like a craft to it that takes You know, it takes a handful of hours on a board or floating on a tube to kind of get down pat and figure out, you know, the casting mechanics and stuff to get it just right. And that's a super fun thing to do once you figure it out. But like the first hour and a half, two hours on my board, I was absolutely pissed at the world because I just was (laughs) super unstable and everything. And I'm sure it's probably the same with a float tube, I'd have to guess.
1: Yeah, the conditions have got to be right and it's one of those things where you like every fish you feel like you earned right because it's not like you just get out there and catch them you got to like move around go across the lake um it's there There was a lot of memories made in the float tube just because of that too um but yeah you're right you do and you have fins too so that was the other thing is like you'd have to kick over there turn around set it up relax get your breath back cast and then yeah if you hooked a big fish you're getting towed around the lake sometimes and it it became kind of hard to fight fish but it was always it was always fun
0: yeah and i think another guy who uh zaldane fished out of a float tube for a while when he was younger if i remember correctly and he oh, caught yeah. some super big fish doing it too i think he I think he caught yeah. one over 10 like maybe an 11 or 12 i heard and that's i mean that's just, that's just so wild to think about
1: yeah, you're right. I I think I've seen that picture too on one of his bios or something. And it, I don't know, man, there's something about it. Like catching a big fish out of a little inflatable tube like that. It's, it's pretty cool. And props to the guys that get out there and get after it.
0: I think it's, it's also pretty rewarding too. I mean, there's a different feeling. And I'm, I'm assuming early mid two thousands, you probably had a hand pump. You probably pumped it up. Like you pumped up an air mattress or a bike tire. Like you didn't have an automatic pump or anything and it it's it's very rewarding to to get to the lake have to pump up your your board or, or whatever it may be and then have to paddle you know for 10 20 minutes to get over to the other side of this lake or a little inlet or a, a patch of lily pads that you've been catching fish off of and when i mean you catch you catch a three five pounder around or i mean if i catch a three pounder off my board i am stoked because i know i physically know what it takes what it took to go hunt this fish down and it's super rewarding and it makes me feel like wow like i really worked for this fish like i I feel good about this fish even if it's not super massive it's like whoa like everything that i did today kind of led me up to this point if i wouldn't have pumped up my board or you know whatever it's like it's just it's super cool you you get to see the work that you've done just kind of prosper in front of you
1: Yeah, for sure, and yeah, it was a hand pump, and yeah, even just catching one fish didn't matter if it was big or what, it was like, I accomplished something today, and uh, there were plenty of those trips where you'd either get skunked or only catch one fish, and yet it was still like, hey, I'm out here having fun.
0: Yeah, Um, last question as far as the tube goes, at least intentional question, what was the biggest fish you caught off it, and what was that experience like, and did you ever get to fish like swim baits off it at all, whether they were big or just a shell cracker or anything in between like that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I, and I, again, going back to like, I have pictures of it, but in, it was in middle school. Um, and I remember, so my mom's friend lived on a lake that, uh, had some cutthroat trout in there and someone had put, um, gold, like their pet goldfish in there and they oh just gosh. blew up. So these cutthroat were, if you threw anything orange in there, like it was getting smoked and, uh, had a couple summers. The the thing is it would, it was in high elevation. So it would like, in, in certain years, the ice would get so thick. A lot of the fish would die because there's no oxygen, but the ones that did survive, they were huge. So that's where I would go float tube, um, like half the time, just because it was easy to get to. My mom could hang out with her friend and there was fish in there. And, uh, there was one fish I caught on. It was a Jake Spinnelure, which is like a you know a gold piece of metal with some red dots on it, and yeah. um, that Zebco rod. I, I had I had paired up an Abu Garcia reel at this point because I got sick of the spin cast. But anyway, I uh, I hooked this cutthroat, and it, again, like we have such clear water out here that I watched this fish eat probably 50 yards away to where you can see your lure like flashing in, and then all of a sudden there's just this giant body on it. Um, but I, I hooked the fish and it was fighting so hard and getting down in weeds that I had to go beach the float tube, get out and fight it from shore because it was kicking my ass. Like there was nothing I could do. And so the neighbor noticed and he came over my mom, my dad, and my mom's friend came out and they were like cheering me on. And this fish was fighting so hard that my dad literally like stood on this dock as I pulled the fish in and he netted it, as he's standing on the dock and I'm like 20 feet away on shore, um, got some pictures and released that fish. But the neighbor, this this same guy, he was like yelling at me, saying, "Hey, there's no fish in here. What are you doing? Why are you fishing here?" And I still remember I was like 13, 14 years old, and I looked over at him and like gave him this wink. Like, remember when you told me there's no fish in here? Yeah. He's just he's blown away. But that was probably it. It was like a 20, 24, 25 inch cutthroat, but one of those like dark spawning color you know male fish that again, you look like i it's, it's in my head because it's just I was so stoked and proud of that fish, but um yeah, that was probably it maybe maybe you know a twenty five inch trout i don't think I ever did get a musky out of it, but I've still got the float tube it's in my shed I, I ought to go oh, really? out and start it start an Instagram just about float tube fishing
0: what uh what What brand is it? And is that brand still like, is it, was it a (laughs) well-known brand? I'm trying to think of what the one, like the, is it, what's the main one I'm trying to think of?
1: Dude, I don't even know. It's like a U shape and it has a bar across the front with like a ruler that goes over your lap. And I had some Hodgman waiters, but as far as the brand of the float tube, I don't know. That's, I I, I haven't had it out in years.
0: (laughs) There's like Caddis, dude. There are so many now there's like a caddis sports pro. Oh yeah. Oh, just all sorts of them! Wow, they are cheap. I mean, you could get—I uh, don't know what these measurements are—50 inch by 54 inch. Oh, must be how like a square for 180 bucks. I mean, wow, these things are cheap. <laughs> I didn't know that they yeah. were like
1: that. Yeah, but that was it. I mean, I spent like 80 bucks for mine, and remember, I had to work my ass off to get that. And yeah, I was proud of it, and I took it everywhere and took care of it. And yeah, like I sound like a hoarder because I'm like, I still got my first rod, and I still got this float tube, but. Shit, sentimental to me and uh, maybe someday I'll get back out there and, you know, come full circle. But yeah, it's, I never did get into swim baits with it just because that's kind of when I started meeting guys that had boats and yeah, they kind of got me into tournaments and obviously I'm not going to go put a float tube on Lake Powell and (laughs) try to compete.
0: Yeah. And so... It was were you able to drive? You know, you talked about fishing tournaments. Were you able to drive yourself and stuff when you kind of got into the swim baits and, and and gotten your first couple?
1: Yeah. So that was the cool thing about the swim bait thing was, um, so I met I met Rodney. He kind of lit the fire with swim baits and showed me what was possible. Um, and that, that's when I found Swim Bait Nation. And met, you know, like Travis Evans and Caesar and Wayne, mm-hmm. um, Chris, who Power Worm, again, like my weird brain, dude. I go back and I remember these dudes all by their uh, usernames, right? So, like, and Power Worm this, is this was dude. Was this a
0: Facebook Swimbait Nation or was this a forum? Swimbait Nation? No, no.
1: Yeah, Swimbait Nation was a forum where okay, it had right. like a buy sell trade. It was like Swimbait Universe or Swimbait Underground. Underground. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but before that, yeah, this was like. So this was in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, um, and maybe two thousand six is when I got on there. Um, but yeah, Power Worm Chris lives up in I think Washington and Oregon. I've never met the dude. And you know, one one Christmas, I opened a box and it's like a G two Lunker Punker from Power Worm. And so we went back and forth and did like Secret Santa just to each other for a few years. And you know, there was Don Mormon, the the Don Father, and. Greg Ross. I don't know what happened to Greg Ross, but that dude used to have some giant fish from Northern California and Mike Gilbert. And I, I connected with a bunch of guys on there and looked up to them. And that's when I really started getting into like the buy, sell trade and getting stuff was, was from that forum.
0: Dang dude. And was there, was there kind of that, uh, like touch, Like, was it just a buy sell or was that also kind of like the hangout where guys would post up pictures and, and post up, you know, tips, tricks, mods, and that sort of thing. Like most of the forums are like now, or was it just strictly that buy and sell aspect to it?
1: No, it was general swim baits and people would post about like, Hey, here's, you know, I'm bringing this bait to the market or prototypes. Um, they'd post colors like back then Piz was just painting. He didn't even have baits out yet. Um, and I got one of his glides, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's so many, it goes so far back, but yeah, I, I remember selling up his glide for like $35, and it was one that I had got in a trade or whatever. But they did on that forum, they did like a general discussion, a brag board, a buy sell trade, um, like a builder. There was one for builders in there that like had questions. Um, but it was just a way for people to kind of, get their products out there and meet people and they and it like so much of it has dissolved into other things i think they used to do a tournament um but like rob bellany was on there and there there was a lot of people uh and it it kind of blew up but it was it was a lot of fun to watch and see some of that stuff
0: dang dude so i mean that was that was before that was like a little bit before Caesar started even making baits, right? Like toxic baits wasn't a thing or that was probably like the brainchild, the, the, the conception of it was around that time.
1: Yeah. And he would make wood baits and yeah. like, he would ship them to you in a wooden box that he built with, I mean, I know Travis has like his first rat and the, you know, the wooden and crank. OGs, oh, Like Caesar, you know, shout out to Caesar and toxic baits he used to look a lot different. His baits used to be a lot different, but they would always produce. And, uh, yeah, that's where I met Caesar. but he was working full time back then and was just, I don't remember what his name was on there. I think it was just Caesar. but, uh, he was like that Delta guy. that was always catching big ones on bluegill baits and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, er, er, early days, man. Like there was a guy, Terry Lancaster and I don't know if he's still around. Um, it, it's kind of a long story, but I got a bait from Don Mormon. I connected with Don, the God, or the dog, whatever, Don father, whatever you want to call him. And he was always catching big fish on HUDs. And uh, he sold me a 316 real deal. Like, have you seen one of those, the floating real deal with the mouth that like opened and close? Uh,
0: let me look it up real quick.
1: It was a cool bait, like a three piece trout. Um, super high detail, 316 by Mickey. And anyway, I got that bait and posted it on Swimbait Nation. And come to find out, people are like, you've got Jimmy Hoffa. I'm like, dude, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Well, everybody wanted this bait. Like, my inbox blew up. People were offering me, like, 600 bucks for this thing. And I didn't feel right because Don, like, went out of his way to hook me up. And I had yeah. thrown it. I had caught a few fish. Anyway, Terry hits me up, and he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm not doing well. I, 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 he had some illness and I don't remember what it was when swim nation went away. Like I had no way to contact these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he hit me up and was like, Hey, I've always wanted one of those. What can I trade you to get that? And we worked out a deal. It had a 10 inch Nates in it and, um, like a 10 inch Nates, a handful of baits, right? Like I got three or four. Um, I didn't want to do the trade, but I was down to help a guy out and sent it to him. He, I got his baits. Dude, I went out like a week later and caught my PB, an eight pounder on that 10 inch Nate. Dang. And ever since then, I was like, man, like people were pissed. I had a dude yelling at me because he, because I didn't sell it to him. And I'm like 20 years old. I'm like, shut up. Anyway, uh, we don't need to go down that. But <laughs> yeah, it was that bait. It was crazy how much hype it brought and like how much hate it brought. Cause I didn't hook other people up, but Terry Lancaster, I'm if you're still out there, man, like, I'll always remember that trade. I'll always appreciate that bait and that PB still stands because of him. So kind of crazy. Dang, dude. And like, dude,
0: I, 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 am going to just restate. I am so jealous just hearing, hearing these stories because it is just sounds like such a blast. Do you remember off the top of your head Like, was it common to see a bunch of new guys on, on this forum or was it kind of, you know, the same 10, 20, 30 names that you're used to seeing, or was it just new people buying and selling and posting fish all the time? Like, could you see that swim bait fishing was blowing up like it is now, or was it still kind of, I mean, obviously, was it still like a super niche thing and it was only a select few that were really uh, like active on this forum?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's nowhere near where it was now. And you would see these dudes, these two dudes pop up, but they would post just hammers where like Lake Mission Viejo out in California. Sorry if I'm burning anybody's spot. I have no idea if it's producing fish like it was, but there would be dudes that would fish that. And, you know, they'd have like two giants. There were, I mean, there were some people that were like winning swim bait tournaments, but come to find out they were fishing live trout or live bluegills. They yeah, yeah, they got they got in trouble for that. But dudes would show up out of nowhere with giant fish, and then there was people that were you know catching walleye on them, or um, people from like the Midwest, and it was it was cool because it didn't matter where you lived. Yeah, and there was a dude in Florida that would go out there and stick like an eight pound largemouth, and then have a picture of a ten pound snook on the same bait, and you're just like, man, that you know, it's from Texas all over. And so anyway, it was. It wasn't as big as it is now. You would see new dudes, but yeah, it was it was like a pretty consistent 50 guys that really contributed and were putting up numbers consistently.
0: That's interesting. And was there so, you know, around that time, you know, uh cl- getting closer to the early 2010s, I mean, that was like, you know, 316 uh Crap who's Nates, like all these guys out in California are starting to get a name for themselves. And you know, this is at the time where, you know, fishing uh shit, what is it? Like Lake Dixon Lake, I think in California. And you got yep. uh you've got uh what's his name? Uh cheater guy, uh Mike Long. I mean he is on the oh, top, yeah, yeah. top of the world. Um ha- have you read Salbelly by chance?
1: Haven't. No, I've got a lot of the other books, but I never did read Sal Belly sowbelly like
0: goes super in depth to that early early to mid 2000s uh fishing realm, and like who's the king of San Diego and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's like all I'm picturing in my head are all these guys around this time, you know I'm trying to think I can't think of the guy's name, but he he's the only guy to have ever caught two twenty pound fish, and that was like two thousand two he did that, and then you know Mike long kind of took that crown for a while. And was that a name that you ever saw pop up on the forums or was oh, that yeah. kind of under the radar, unless
1: you were in San Diego still? I remember he bought um a JSJ JSJ baits made a bait called like a hell puppy. And it was a like a triple jointed swim bait. Yeah. But it had a buzzbait tail on the back, and Mike Long hit me up to buy that. So I was like so stoked to sell Mike Long a bait. And back then, yeah, you never would have known. I mean he was just but yeah. he was one of those guys always posting giants. But San Diego, I mean, I got to go fish San Diego a couple times and it is just different out there. It is like, the pressure is unbelievable, but the people that can figure those fish out are rewarded for it. And we showed up to this lake, Tommy and I, my buddy that I fished Jordan L with, he moved to San Diego. And we showed up at like four in the morning and the lake didn't open until six. And there was already hundreds of cars in front of you guys. Dude, mind blowing. Like we put our boat on the water and we're blasting off. It's foggy. And there's dudes already netting fish. And I was just like blown away. So we're out here throwing frogs this day. And I had had like frog blow ups before, right? But in Utah, we've got like all Northern string. So not as aggressive. Well, I shouldn't say not as aggressive, but just act very different than a Florida string, which is what was in California. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm throwing this frog around and dude, all of a sudden I get blown up on and it's like breaking tree branches trying to eat it. And it was like a six, three, Tommy ended up catching one almost seven. But this guy, I mean, it was like, these lakes are so small that you can get confined. And this guy made a cast that, I mean, he could have hit, he could have hit me with his bait if he wanted to. Like he was, his bait landed like five feet from the boat. He's throwing a buzz bait and dude, a fish blows up on it. Like 10 feet from me. He fights this thing out. It was a nine thirteen. And at that point, I mean there was a tournament that day, we watched him lay it in and I was like, Holy shit. I watched that happen. That was that close to me and that was my like first time really seeing a giant fish. Yeah. Um but yeah, those fish out there in San Diego, they're pressured, but they're big and they're they're smart.
0: Yeah, and going kinda because I mean, dude, Sow Belly is such it's not swim bait related there's there's some key points about swim baits but i just wanted to share this story because it was you had talked about there being people on the water already and you guys got there early so there was this guy and i think marshall and i have talked about this on one of the episodes he was on but there was this police officer he used to work like second or third shift you know super late and he'd, he'd get out of work He was a cop he'd get out of work he'd go home pick up his 12 pack of diet I think it was Diet Pepsi or maybe Diet Coke, and he'd turn around and he'd go to the boat ramp and he'd get there at like two or three in the morning. He'd sleep at the gate. Uh usually the ranger, he'd get up right before the ranger would wake him up, knock on his window, he'd pay, go fish, and he'd be out there until the lake closed. And he did that every single day for what did he say, like twelve years or something like that? And that was the guy who uh who had caught two twenty pound fish in his like in, in that period of time. And then they talk about uh, Mike Long and how he was kind of the king of San Diego. After all that had happened, he caught a bunch of big fish, and he was growing a name for himself. And they they interview – or they write about these three guys who got super big into it after they heard. um, At one point in time, I want to say, if I remember right, it was an insurance company was paying like $100,000 if somebody could catch the world record bass in the U.S., And so, or break the world record. And so these three friends got into fishing, you know, whatever, and they would go out and they just got laser focused fishing, uh, Dixon Lake. And the one day they were out there and, uh, Mike Long was out there too. And they caught like a 10 or 11 pound, like a really, a a very respectable fish, but nothing like miraculously huge as far as like a trophy hunter out in California in the early two thousands. And so they catch just 10 or 11 pound fish and, you know, they're getting snapping some pictures and stuff. And that day, Mike Long had uh, had a newspaper guy with him, and they didn't know, obviously, one thing or another. So Mike Long is, like, came over and borrowed their fish. He's like, oh, we're going to take some pictures of it for a news article, you know, whatever, talking about the fishing here. So was, these guys don't think anything of it. And come to find out, a handful of months later, four or five months later, um, the one guy, I think, was standing in line at the grocery store. And he looks over, and there's Mike Long posing with the fish he caught that he took from him. Oh, jeez. And so that kind of opened up a can of worms. And then that was right around the time. Uh, I don't know if it's still true, but California, like you can't fish certain lakes on Sundays. Like the lakes are off limit, closed for the day. But yep. apparently back then, if you if you had an excuse, like if you had a magazine or a newspaper with you or a TV show or news station or whatever, you could get away with it and you can go fish. And apparently that's how Mike Long would go out and catch a lot of these fishes. He would fish Sundays where... You know, historically, these fish never see a bait. They never see a boat. They're not pressured at all. And they would go out there, and they'd catch all these big fish when they were spawning on Sundays because they had the whole lake to themselves. They could do whatever they wanted. They could sit on a fish for five hours and catch it and not worry about, you know, anybody distracting them or coming and messing with that same fish if they went yeah. and looked for other fish. Like, it is it is absolutely bizarre, man. And I think that after reading that book, I think that's what got me so amped and and so wishful that I grew up around that time period that you were my age for the like mid, mid to early two thousands and got to experience all this stuff. And obviously a lot of it happened, maybe not necessarily behind closed doors, but it wasn't available. I mean, when news broke about Mike Long snagging these fish, I mean, everybody knew about it it after three hours of the story being published because of Facebook and Instagram and stuff. But like mm-hmm. back then, nobody knew that all this crazy stuff was going on because these guys weren't able to post about it for all hundreds and thousands of their followers to see and stuff like it is today,
1: yeah, well, and it's it, like San Diego's this secret society. I haven't spent a ton of time out there, so i I can't pretend like I'm an expert, but you see some of these guys like you know Cameron Johnson and Matt Peters back in the day having three fish for what like thirty thirty pounds or something like that, and um there's a lot of guys that went on these just hares in tournament fishing and didn't get any recognition didn't get any glory just out there having a good time you know targeting these fish and there's no doubt mike long knew what he was doing and caught a lot of fish legitimately but i think a lot of that fame and you know um like pressure got to him that he had to always perform and i mean I, i've never met the guy so i don't know i sold him a bait so i guess i, I can talk about him a little bait? bit but. sold him a bait <laughs> Yeah, that's a little bit, but yeah, it, it it that definitely opened my eyes to like, man, there's there's a lot of fish out here, um, and there's fish that act different in different lakes, and that's that's kind of when I started traveling and chasing fish all over.
0: So it sounds like the tooth, or yeah, jeez, so, so around that twenty years old, it sounds like you had gotten, you were still very big into fishing, and a lot of guys that we talked to, and even myself, kind of, kind of fall off the bandwagon as far as enjoying fishing or liking it. Like obviously some guys, you know, fall into whatever it may be, partying and stuff, and mine was kind of cars and photography. And it seems like a lot of guys, whether it's by choice or just because they they might take a step back from fishing if they were super big into it in their youth, was that something that happened to you or... Was was kind of the swim baits and tournaments and, and traveling and stuff. Was that what kept you hooked on it?
1: Oh yeah, no. So my mom worked for the airlines, and so I could like fly anywhere um, for for either free or for a really good deal. So I would kind of fly over and meet guys and um, hang out with you know fishermen and whatnot uh, and go places to fish. But that's when I got into it the most because I started to have more time and, you know, build some of these friendships. And there was, there was this one week, it was in 2011, I remember vividly where I fished five different lakes within a seven day period. Mm-hmm. And it was all the way from catching a, like a four pounder on jerk bait at Jordan to a three pounder on a popper at this other lake. Those were both smallmouth. Then I caught a 48 inch tiger muskie. On like Wednesday, didn't fish Thursday, Friday, went to Lake Powell, took third place in a tournament. Uh, it, it was just crazy. It was like, I was going all over the place from far Northern Utah to far Southern Utah. And, uh, it was almost too much fishing is is crazy as that sounds. I was like running myself ragged, Yeah, but I, I started helping run a tournament circuit called ultimate bass team tour. Oh, wow. And so we would like be running tournaments up North. Then I'd drive to Southern Utah and, you know, help him with a night tournament or whatever it may be. Yeah. And then they'd have tournaments over at Powell and at Lake Navajo kind of all over. So it was like, I could fish as much as I wanted to because there was always someone going fishing somewhere. And it mm-hmm. was like, Hey, I'll fly into St. George, pick me up and, you know, take me to meet or whatever. Um, so I was fishing a ton and that, that was kind of the peak was actually when I was 20 because it's when I felt like I was getting good, I was getting some, um, like quality rods and reels and starting to invest some more time and money into it. So of course I was like, I'm going to be a tournament fisherman and I'm going to be pro and I, yeah, that none of that worked out, uh, probably a good thing, but I, and I, trust me, we still partied. We had a great time, but made some friends. They kind of kept my head on my shoulders and took me under their wing um a friend of mine trace trace and mandy Myers are people that i'll they'll be some of my best friends for life and they seriously took me everywhere with them and we i called it the fishing family because i wasn't their kid but man it sure seemed like it and we'd go fish for a weekend and they would ask for nothing in return and i'll follow up forever appreciate them but yeah that, I, that's so cool
0: that i mean wow dude and When you were traveling, were you, did you ever like do like crazy stuff, like cross state lines and fish, you know, California and then maybe fly out to the Midwest or something like that? Or was it kind of usually around that, that West state area?
1: It was a lot of the Western stuff at first. You know, I've done trips to like Michigan for muskies, Minnesota for bass and muskie, California, Mexico, but it was, it was a lot of just like, You know, we would fish the bass nation and, uh, we went and fished like Yuma, Arizona for a week in 115, 120 degree heat. Um, and then, and then turn around and go fish a tournament. Like that ended on Friday. We drove all night to fish a tournament that next Saturday. Um, but we would do it as like a a group. Right. And we would caravan and we, we definitely did do some like turn and burn. There was, there was one tournament um where i was helping the guy run it alan was his name and i fished a tournament in southern utah on saturday and was snowboarding like a foot and a half of powder the next day so i I made this like i think i I had a gopro one and i had a gopro before like anybody else i know yeah i would film this stuff and anyway yeah I, i put a video up on youtube where it's like saturday in southern utah sunday on the slopes and uh that was pretty drastic thinking one day I'm fishing of open lake and the next day I'm snowboarding, but
0: yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Oh my gosh. That I'm just still envying your, your upcoming and, and the time that happened. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> this is what you've said is just, I mean, I would go out and say a, a, a person seriously into fishing my age in the early, you know, early twenties, is going to hear this. And I mean, probably even younger too. And they're just going to be like, wow, like you're the first person that I can think of off the top of my head. And I could be wrong that has gone into depth on, on this being like the early mid two thousands and what that was like, because a lot of guys, I mean, we've talked about how it's grown so much. A lot of guys have not been around that long, like talking about, when when swimbait nation was a thing i mean i've heard of it from from older guys that who one of them's gonna be coming on the show but i mean this Mm -hmm. is just such this was the niche thing before the niche thing was niche i mean that's what it's like (laughs) essentially
1: (laughs) well and uh, going back to it like a lot of it has to do with who i was surrounded with yeah i actually ran into a friend the other day and just said like if it weren't for you guys i wouldn't fish because it was it was this club called Big City Bass. And we would do a meeting once a month. We would have a tournament once a month. We'd have an end of the year banquet. And Rodney, Tommy, Matt, who was the officiant at my wedding. Um, you know, a lot of these guys I fished with, they just made it so fun. And we'd yeah. go, you know, we we would meet at a bar and I was 17, 18 years old and they'd, you know, sneak me in as their kid. And so part of it was like, oh man, this is cool. Like I'm one of the Mm-hmm. I'm one of the guys and uh, yeah, just like I learned so much because those were draw tournaments, right? So you'd face yeah. with someone new and uh, yeah, to this day, it's like if you guys didn't make that as fun as you did and some of those camp outs that we had and, you know, the stories that get told, we we could make this podcast five hours with some of those. Yeah. But <laughs> um, yeah, it, it I, I just look back and I'm like, if it weren't for you guys, I probably would have fallen out of this. But again, they took me under their wing, kind of showed me the way and how to do things. And I, you know, Reagan, Matt, Rick, White, Rick Culver, there's, I could, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Um. They, they all kind of paved the way for me. So they, they deserve a lot of credit.
0: I think fishing in general, but <clears throat> excuse me, fishing in general, but more so swim baits from my experience, like you can have that, you know, lone wolf solo man mentality but there's just something about maybe not even necessarily sharing a boat with a friend, but getting off the water and, and you know calling up your buddy and it's like, hey, dude, like I just got my ass kicked. This is what it sets up like. And just being able to bounce ideas in your experiences off people, like like-minded people, that goes so far, man. I mean, there's been days where Marshall will call me and like he's on the middle of the water. He's like, dude, I've been out here for four hours and I just, I just can't buy a bite. Or... You know, um, there's there's handfuls of other guys that I'll call or they call me, and we're on the phone for four hours. And I mean, you know, an hour of it will be fishing pertained or podcast pertained, and then the other three hours are just us talking about life. And mm-hmm. it's just something about the camaraderie. Wow, the, the, <laughs> that word. There is just something. Yeah, yeah. There's just something about that, and having friends who share the same hobby that you just grow so close to, and it, it just becomes that much more of an experience to to hang out with them and to talk about them because you guys can talk about your favorite thing or you guys are such close friends that you can talk about anything else under the sun and i mean that's what made swim bait fishing fun for me it was it was always a lot of fun and then kind of got burnt out of it and then i i just kind of immersed myself i i I started posting more on on the facebook pages and you know starting started talking to people on swimbait underground and posting more on instagram and you know talking Mm -hmm. to people on the phone more and stuff and it just became so much more than fishing like you said like the experiences just help so much and just keep you tied in with it i think that that's the most fun thing out of it like fishing like catching fish is a lot of fun but being able to call up a buddy and just pick his brain about something or share share an experience you guys had at the first gathering in Virginia or something I mean there's just something else to that
1: Oh for sure and it was it was those trips to Mexico that make you realize like it's so much bigger than fishing that's yeah. just the common like the common theme right is that we're all after the same thing but um yeah they it it seems like friends can light a fire when when you've burned out or when you're sick of it and when you you know are over whatever it may be hey this is my you know musky fishing for sure because you'll go 10 trips without even getting a bite yeah and if it weren't for you know my buddy joe Wisner who i chased these stupid fish around all of utah with um like without him i never would have stayed focused but uh we're able to like you said give ideas to each other kind of light that fire and get things going and special things happen because of it. But yeah, it was, it was Lake Bacarac that put that into perspective for me too.
0: Oh man. It's like we had this drawn up on a napkin. Like we had a last minute play just call right here's perfect transition to, to Mexico fishing <laughs> and what that's like. So what was your first experience fishing Mexico, fishing across the border for the first time? What was that like? Where was it at? And what what, what did that do for you? I guess.
1: Yeah, it was Bacharach and it was a Facebook page by Chad Meenan uh, in Swimbait Universe, I think, where there was 20 spots. And I just said, hey, I'm in. Here's my deposit and I'll figure it out. He kind of said, hey, here's how it works. And, you know, usually guys are paired up. And Mm -hmm. I asked a friend of mine and he was in and then uh, he talked to one of his friends and he wanted to go. So he's like, hey, uh, Paul's in. That makes three of us. So then I ask another friend and he's like, Yeah, my son wants to go. I'm like, well, that makes five of us. Yeah. Ask another guy that goes to Texas every year. And he's like, Oh, yeah, let me see if John wants to come. So he's in, there's seven of us. And I'm like, dude, there's there's not that much room in this group. And <laughs> There'd be a host. yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I ask one more guy, right? And I'm like, hey, do you want to come? His name's Tyler. I'm like, Tyler, do you want to come? But if you if you want to go, like it you just gotta say yes, we're full after that. I need someone to fish with. If you come, you're fishing with me. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm in. So eight of us went from Utah. Wow. Um, as part of like that swim bait universe group that you see every year, oh. uh, with Wayne and Chad and Brian and CJ and all those guys. And I think that was in 2018. Yeah. was my first trip. Damn dude. So just to put it in perspective, that was your first trip. Do you, do you guys do the fall trip? The October is that, or November? November. This, November. this year, yeah. That year, 2018, it was like the first week or second week of November. And that no, it, was, I don't know the statistics, and I have to go back and look, but that's that was like the second trip. They had the Baca Burrito,
2: yep. the yeah. Burrito
1: Bait, and good Lord, it was ridiculous.
0: So to put that in perspective, you guys went in the fall of 2018. I joined Swimbait Bait Universe February of 2018, and I remember oh, – well, I remember seeing guys post pictures of Mexico fish. And I mean, dude, at that point in time, I obviously had no idea what anything or was or what was going on. But I yeah. remember like, <clears throat> I vividly remember seeing fish and guys talking about Mexico. And I remember thinking like Mexico has fish. Like there's, there's... no Mexico's like, the, like the desert, you know, I was thinking like cowboy, yeah. cowboys and tumbleweeds and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I remember talking to people and they're like, yeah, dude, like Mexico, like Lake Baccarat has some really big fish. And I remember Googling it and stuff. And I'm just like, Whoa, that that's, that's so crazy. And then getting to talk to guys who have gone there, like in person, like talking to CJ and stuff and hearing their stories and it's like, Whoa, like that's just like another planet, like another world of fishing.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And it's one of those places that if you've been thinking about going or want to go, just do it. Just, 2018 just send your deposit and figure it out because it 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 changed my life it changed the way i fish i've made memories and friends from those trips that otherwise i never would have even met um i can't even express like how cool that place is and how special it is Mm -hmm. and you no one could make you feel that or like experience it until you're there um but yeah i mean a lot of those guys had been down there for a week that that first year I went. And so we showed up to just pictures of 10 pounders and you yeah. know, 45 pound limits before lunch. And that year, for whatever reason, it was just, it was ridiculous and everybody's, you know, I want to catch a 10 pounder and, you know, I think it was day three for me. Yeah. Um It, it can happen on any cast and we've all seen that so many times, but it's, it's truly unbelievable until you've experienced it. And the first time you go is almost just getting familiar with the lake. And then the yeah. second time is even better. But
0: I will say my first impression of like talking to somebody who had gone in person was CJ. I talk, I was talking to him the Friday night before the first gathering, we were over at Keith's house or Keith's cabin eating steaks. And CJ was wearing his, uh, his green kind of like that chain mill design that Lake Bacharach, uh Jersey yeah, and uh, i remember i remember talking to him and he's like oh yeah we caught like 16 pounds worth of fish in two casts like back-to-back casts and i'm like no way dude and, and he pulls up his phone and he's he's got his head mount gopro video he's showing me and you know first yeah. fish was like a nine or, or 10 whatever it was and then he's like oh yeah he's like he's pumping pumping uh fist pumping his guide and whoever he was fishing with and you know, yep. he gets it all, gets it all reset, and gets his line. makes sure his line's all good. Bombs another cast out there. I'm, I think it was probably like a spinnerbait he was fishing, maybe. Boom, okay. and he catches another. Catches another, just absolute d- fish that would dwarf my pp at the time. And I remember watching this video. It was only like a six minute video, and looking up at him, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I need to go there. Like that. That video alone, first time I'd ever talked to anybody who had gone, I was sold, and I was just yeah. like wow, that is absolutely crazy. How have I never heard about this?
1: Yeah. So speaking of CJ, um, we, we spent, we spent multiple trips there together now to this point, but there was one year during COVID it was 2020. We went down and spent two weeks there together and it was in between groups. I actually caught my PB with CJ at 10:13. but, uh, see, like I love CJ, like a brother. If he called me, and said, Hey, I need you here tomorrow in mass, I'd be there. Like, yeah, we've just, it, there was one trip we rode, you know, from the airport to the lodge and they had 40s for CJ and I in the truck. And <laughs> I don't know how many we drank, but.
2: Oh, just,
1: And I mean, it's, we've made some great memories. And uh, anyway, CJ's a good dude. And uh, yeah, was there with my PB and one of those guys, like I said, that you meet down there and never thought you'd connect. And like I said, I'd, I'd pretty much do anything for that dude.
0: Yeah, and so you talked about getting there uh, fall of twenty eighteen, and that's when mm-hmm. they had the Baca. Ba- how how do you say it? Baca bur- burrito. Baca. Baca
1: burrito. Yeah, Baca. and so Baca. yeah, so that was new, and I mean they were they were like the new thing. There was the Storm Shad, and then that was, you know, a lot of guys had caught big fish on that, so that was the thing. And mm-hmm. that first day we pulled up, and like not to set the picture, but we pulled up to one bank. I was with Tyler, and the sun was, the sun had pretty much come up at that point. And uh, I was throwing a whopper plopper. Tyler was throwing a walk the dog and the guide was throwing a popper. And we were all just fishing top water on this bank. And we had like 60 fish over five pounds just going back and forth on this hundred yard stretch before lunch. And we got back and we're like, dude, we caught like a seven and we caught a bunch of sixes and all these fives and I'm I've got it on video. And I'll never forget Will's like, yeah, I caught a 12 and Brian, oh, I caught a 10 and an 11 and Chad caught two 10s. And like, I looked at Tyler and I'm like, where the fuck are we? <laughs> yeah. I thought we had an amazing day and these dudes are out here dropping double digits. It was like, I think there was like six double digits that first morning that we got there. Wow. And and most of them on that Baca burrito.
0: And was that the first trip that those guys had had him? Because I remember Wayne posting a picture of a torn-up one, and that was the trip that uh, Sean from GoTo was down there? Or was that the year prior that they had gotten him for the first time down there?
1: The year before. Yeah, so they were there like the November before 2017, and that's when that was introduced, from what I understand.
0: Damn, dude. I mean, this place is literally just – sounds and and looks from everything that you can see is just the wild west big bass shootout i mean it's just going out there fishing for 10 hours and just being rewarded with above average fish that you're not going to catch on a consistency base i mean dude it's and i guess so 2018 you get down there what did the lake set up like was it super was it flooded super low uh and then kind of talk about the tilapia net fishing that they do down there too. Cause that's something that yeah. Noah and I kind of touched on, but we didn't dive in too deep. And I feel like you probably have a good understanding
1: about that. Yeah, sure. So, um, the, that year the water was high and it was like the highest it had been in a few years. Mm-hmm. Actually this last year, 2022, I believe the water was higher. Oh, and if really? not, it was just that more vegetation had grown. Yeah. Um, because it was like you couldn't reach shore in some spots there was so many bushes and vegetation wow but that first year the water was really high um and you know i have notes from every year that i've gone because i i ran a group for the like five four years after that Mm -hmm. first trip um and every year is a little bit different but that year i mean i i could go into my notes but um it was kind of everything goes like we caught fish on a ton of different baits. Uh, and I, I can't remember the second part of your question there, but,
0: uh, the, the tilapia commercial fishing out there. What is that like? And, um, I guess kind of, if you have an idea why they do it or how that affects the fishing kind of
1: explain that too. Yeah. It's, it's cool to see because they've got these boats and you'll see like a whole family, of like five six people in a boat, come. They, they're always going out at the night when you're like coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And they set their nets at night, and it depends on. There's like a quota that they have to fill, so they net. You'll see them net two days in a row, and they won't net again at all. Yeah, um, and it happens all over the lake. So you'll you'll be in a spot, and you'll go to like leave a cove, and then all of a sudden you'll see these bottles floating, and there's a net there. Um, what's crazy is when I caught that 1013 on the, on the Rover, the the top water, um, there had been so many big fish caught in this one cove and there's no names. there's no GPS. You don't know where you're at on the lake, but we had started talking and I talked with Chad and he's like, oh yeah, that's where Wayne caught both of his nines. I had two eights there and CJ caught an 814 there and Brian the day before caught a one." And all of these fish came in this one spot and we would go back there that second week and mm-hmm. it wouldn't be as good. I honestly think what was happening is they would, they would put a net from one point to the other and essentially cut this cove off. Yeah. And I think those fish would like get inside the net, go on a feeding frenzy and you would get there in the morning. They'd pull the net, but those fish would still be hot. And, yeah. Uh, it was just, you were at the right place at the right time because it was, it was, there was too many big fish caught in that little of an area for it to be a coincidence. And it was yeah. like the only place I've seen on the lake where fish couldn't get in and out overnight.
0: Dude, that is interesting. Like wow, these, these fish get like dog crated in here and then the floodgates get opened up and they're not really sure. Cause they're just been stuck in here for the last 12 hours. So they're just. They're just gorging on all this food in there. Have mm-hmm. you noticed a correlation between, well, I guess you might have an idea. I have no idea. When they're netting for tilapia, do, do they bait them at all, or do they just kind of put them in the way where fish will swim through and get stuck into them?
1: Yeah, exactly right. The, 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 they set them in a way that the fish will come in and they get, they get stuck in the net. Um, and the, the holes, from what I understand, are too small for a bass to get stuck. But the tilapia do. Um and it's funny because you'll see like an eight-pounder with a 14-inch tilapia in its mouth, you know, like a big fish floating. Yeah. And you can pull the tilapia out. There's been times where both fish swim away, like they're alive. Yeah. Other times they're both floating and dead. And so guys go down there with these big tilapia baits, right? But mm-hmm. they eat more small tilapia and shad than anything else. And so it's 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 interesting when you see the big ones focusing on big, like bigger tilapia, but they spit up a lot of the smaller ones and a lot of the smaller shad. As right. far as like the netting and how that correlates, it's, it's kind of hard to know. Yeah. Um, and Chad would be a good person because he's down there and he sees like the catch numbers and the yeah. size. Um, but I think those fish, just like San Diego, they're smart. They know when the nets are in they know what happens and uh when it's up it it's time to eat
0: yeah and i i've talked to some guys who have talked uh, who who have explained the fishing out there that first year like it always kind of sounds like there's there's one style or one technique or, or one bait out there that that performs really well throughout the year or in the fall or whatever um do you remember what it was on that trip? Like were you guys catching a lot of fish dragging the jigs up the bluff walls or fishing the, uh, the big spinner baits over uh, tree tops? Or do you remember what it was off the top of your head or was it just kind of throwing, throwing junk at them and they were eating no
1: matter what? That first year it was kind of anything. And it it was a, like a, a big a five inch hollow belly on an underspin caught a ton mm-hmm. of big fish. Jeff, uh, Jeff Howell caught like a twelve twenty three, I think a couple oh weeks God. before us on a hollow belly and had just they had like fifty fish over eight pounds in six days. Like Andy and Jeff are the OGs of Lake Bacharach Lodge. And anyway, they so that was a good bite that first year was an underspin. Uh the the burrito for more 10 pounders in the boat than anything else. Mm-hmm. But there was a really good topwater bite. I had a couple fish over eight on a on a walk the dog. My friend so So day three, right? Day one, whatever, you're getting accustomed to the lake. Yep. Day two, we got it a little bit dialed in. Day three, we went to this spot that we had been to like 10 times and only caught a couple fish on a jig with like a seven inch Senko on the back. Yep. Yeah. Which you've seen the pictures, right? And what's crazy is if you look at that in the water, it looks identical to a catfish. Really? And. That's what a lot of the ghost guys say they eat, right? Is that they're eating the catfish on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, had caught some fish doing that, but I'm like, why are we here? We've caught a couple small fish over 30 feet of water. I bomb out a burrito, check the line, not on the bottom yet. Check the line, not on the bottom yet. I'm like, dude, I should be on the bottom. Oh my God. I set the hook, or I engage the reel and I start reeling in my line, like 10 feet to the left. Yeah. So I set the hook and I'm like, God, this is heavy. The water's dirty, so you can't see more than, like, a foot down. Until they're netted, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this video, I think it's on Instagram somewhere. This fish comes up, flying out, jumps out of the water, lands in the net, and I'm screaming. I'm like, dude, that's like a 12-pounder. It's just, you you can't understand the size of these fish until you see them in person. And it was 10-1 on the nose, like, third spot of the day. And the feeling that, like, I felt sick for probably 20 minutes to where I was just like, I had been chasing a 10 pounder for 10 years. I didn't think I was ever going to catch one living in Utah. And I seriously couldn't stand up like the, the guide six though, (laughs) I caught that fish. I released the fish and I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. And I look back at him to like, tell him, thanks. Well, I, would, I cracked open my wallet. I handed the dude a hundred dollar bill because mm-hmm. I had told myself if I break 10, he's getting a hundred. Yeah. So I hand him a hundred dollar bill. He reaches in the cooler and grabs me a beer and says for celebration. And we both drink a beer at like seven, seven fifteen AM. Um, to celebrate that 10.
0: Oh, that's so funny. I've heard, I like, I've heard nothing but good things about the guides. And, uh, I think it was CJ was telling us that they were kind of motoring over, they were fishing somewhere. And, you know, the little fish finder, like one of those big arches pops up and he was telling, he was saying the guide would point at the screen, Mondo, Mondo, drop down, Mondo, big fish, big fish. Yeah. That, oh my gosh, dude, that is so just wild. I mean, at that point, you know, that's like fishing a Ned rig. Like you cast, wait for it to sink and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. it should be down there already. And you pick it up and your line's just swimming away. You're like, oh, oh there's a fish there. You crack it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just a, it's only a 10 pounder. How crazy is that?
1: Like that's so <laughs> badass to hear. What's, what's wild though, is so that spot was over 30 feet of water on a burrito, right? Yeah. We fish, well, Tyler fishes the spot out and we're, we're going to move. So we go to the spot, we caught all those top water fish a couple days before. Mm-hmm. And I pick up that underspin and I cast up into like a foot of water. There's two leaves, It's a completely different bank. And I get bit within like three cranks of the reel. I set the hook and the fish jumps. I don't see it because the way the sun's coming at us. And Tyler's like, dude, it's another 10. Oh my God. And at this point, I'm like, well, whatever. Like I've already caught one, right? Like, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. Put it in the net. I'm like, holy shit, it is big. Put it on the scale, 915. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I'm like, wait a second. I just made two casts. I hadn't cast since I caught that fish on the burrito. Mm Mm-hmm. So between the two fish, I had twenty pounds. One was in thirty feet. One was in a foot. Ate two different baits, but two casts apart, and different. I mean, it was one of those things I look back on, and I'm like, that is, that's rack. And yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah, you never would have expected it.
0: And um, I I've heard from a lot of people that that seven inch senko on the jig is like money. And is it that you fish them up the huge bluff walls, or you fish them down the huge bluff walls?
1: Uh, A lot of times you're fishing humps and like uphill. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, like you've heard, all the guides are so in tune and they've lived their entire life on this lake. So they've Mm -hmm. seen it at all water levels and they know it like the back of their hand. And a lot of those fish, like you said, they'll pull up to a spot and be like, here, cast that way. Yeah. And you'll straight up ask them, like, where do you want me to go? And they'll point, you make that cast. And it happens on the first cast in there because that fish is just, you know, 20 feet down on a hump waiting for something to come by Um, but it just depends. Cause like this last year, they were on a ton of islands that were like out of the water and they would be on the sunny side. When the sun would come up in the morning, they were on the sunny side, like tucked into the bushes. And then as the sun got high in the sky, they would pull off and be you know deeper in like that 12 to 15 feet. But all of the bigger fish came around kind of offshore islands, um, that had access to deep water, but it's, it's such a different place, bit like there's nowhere else like it. Maybe Amistad yeah. or Falcon. but there's I mean, I fish Lake Palaton, and I think it's the most beautiful lake in the country. But it doesn't even compare to what like Bachark has to offer as far as fish growth and number of giant mm-hmm. fish,
0: yeah. so fall twenty eighteen, What have you gone every, have you returned every year since then in that fall period, or have you kind of switched it up and taken a spring trip or whatever it may be?
1: No, I've never switched it up. I mean, the lake fish is good all year, but I think in, in, um, in February, no, in November, it kind of evens the playing field to where if you want to go through a spinnerbait, you can do it. Crankbait, Mm -hmm. go ahead, jig, topwater, swimbait. Um, that first year, so it was day 3. I had those two big fish. I ended up getting like 45 and a half pounds. Oh my god. For a limit, B- yeah. Between between a burrito a underspin, a jig, a spinnerbait, and a topwater. Like so all I the best ways to catch a fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the g- Tyler that I was with was getting kind of pissed and he was like, "Dude, like I don't know what the deal is. I can't get any bites. You're catching the big fish." And I'm just like, "Dude, I'm doing nothing different. Just keep fishing." Mhm. Well, the next day he pops a 10, 10 even on a popper. That video is also on Instagram because I was filming that. And so we go into the lodge because you you get in and you get to like write your PB on the board, you know, everybody's sitting there at lunch, waiting to see kind of what happened. So we get back and Tyler writes 10 on the board and, you know, we're stoked. We're drinking margaritas. We're celebrating. We both caught our 10. That's what we came down here to do we're in the car after lunch going back down to the boat and Tyler's talking, but he's slurring. He's like, he's making zero sense. Right. And I'm like, damn lightweight. Like how many of those margaritas did you drink? And he had like three or four at lunch and, uh, they're passing a tequila bottle around. So of course he's sipping on that to like celebrate too. The dude could barely stand up in the boat. Right. (laughs) And, uh, we're sitting, we're down there fishing kind of, it's hot, it's flat and there's no wind. The fishing's not great. And he ties on a hair jig and like this hair jig, has become famous down there, but he ties on this hair jig and the guide starts laughing and he's like, you're not going to catch any fish on that. I'll give you $200 if you catch a fish over five pounds on that. And I mean, it's like a half ounce nickels, you know, three, three inch hair jig. So Tyler's throwing this thing out and he catches like a two pounder on it. And the guide laughs and it's like, I told you, you need to throw a, like a burrito or a jig, you know, and Tyler's just stubborn and keeps fishing this thing. And he sets the hook and he's like, I just, I hear him swing and I hear, oh, God! and this fish tries to jump and it yeah. just looks like a whale. I mean, I'm just like, what the hell did you like snag a carp in the back? Yeah. This thing comes up broadside. We drop the net under it. And we, I look at Tyler and I'm like, I'm in shock. The guide grabs it and he's like, the guide's like, no, that's 12. And we're both just like, wait, what? We drop it on the scale, 1298. Oh my like gosh. A drop of water away from 13. Yeah. And the guide is like, I was joking. I was joking about the money. I was joking about the money. And we're like <laughs> hugging, we're high-fiving. Tyler's like, I mean, it that picture's on Instagram. It's insane. And again, it was like where you'd least expect it come to find out another 12 was caught there like three days before, uh, by one of the guides, like tuning a bait and caught a 12. But, uh, yeah, I got to hold that fish and I'll never forget like the way the fat fell through my fingers. I didn't just like Rodney's eight pound smallmouth. Like I didn't even catch this 1298 but it was one of the coolest experiences of my life going back to like it's bigger than the fish like that has to be one of the coolest things that's ever happened to tyler and i was there to experience it and it wouldn't have been possible without chad putting a post up in swimbait universe on facebook
0: yeah dude damn that is so freaking crazy
1: Wow. So, so we get back to the lodge that night, right? And everyone's sitting at the. We're like the day is over. We mm-hmm. realize like we're just like that just happened. We get back to the camp and everybody's sitting there, hanging out, drinking beers, watching you know watching um, watching stuff on their phones, videos from the day. And Tyler goes and crosses out ten, and everybody You're like looks like, oh. up, like, yeah. All of a sudden, like, wait, what? What happened? And then he writes one. And then he writes the two and you can see people's eyes getting bigger. And then he writes nine and then he writes eight and everyone's like, where's the picture? Where's the picture? Yeah, yeah. Would you catch it on? And he brought up the hair jig and everybody's just looking around like what? He caught that on that. And it was just perfect place. Perfect time. Gave those fish something that they're not used to seeing.
0: Yeah, dude. I mean, uh, fast forward to now and Josh Jones is doing it on the same exact thing.
1: Like, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, dude. good move by Tyler. in the guide, man, Sixto, he comes up and no joke, tells Chad, hey, I owe Tyler $200. And we're yeah. like, dude, Sixto, you don't owe a shit. Like, you, right. you you don't owe him a thing. Uh, Thank you. You know, like, if it weren't for, I honestly believe if it weren't for Sixto making that bet with Tyler, he would not have fished that bait for as long right. as he did. But it was just like, I'm going to show you. If, if he caught a five pounder, he probably would have cut it off and been like, haha, showed you, I'm done but the next fish to bite is a damn near 13 and uh man i i I don't know if he'll ever beat it
0: yeah dude that is absolutely crazy and um what was what have the okay what were the next years like like that 2019 to 2022 what have these these years been like has the fishing been as good have you gone with the same group of people kind of in in i guess is Mexico still as crazy as Mexico was the first time for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, this last trip I lost the biggest fish I've ever hooked on top water. Well, the biggest fish I've ever hooked. Yeah. It ate a popper like 10 feet from the boat and you know, it, I all of us, everybody in the boat thinks it was 11 plus and it for whatever reason just came off at the net to this day. I still don't understand why. Um, and it's, the, the potential is always there and teeners get caught every year. Mm-hmm. It could happen on any cast. Um, so let's see, 2019. Yeah, that was 2018. What's weird is so in 2019, uh, one of our one of the guys on the trip, his dad passed away. Um, and that was kind of hard for all of us because you're down there in the middle of Mexico and it, it's kind of hard to turn around and get home if you need to. You yeah. Know? Um, but also we we were out there. It was like day two, and some of the guys were out fishing and heard this noise on shore and thought it was like a a rat or a chipmunk or something. And dude, it was a chihuahua that had like been out there for multiple nights what? swimming out towards them. So they like pick up this chihuahua, put it in the boat, and bring it to the lodge. and Dude, like I, I remember we had fajitas that day and I was mm-hmm. feeding it faji- like steak fajitas and was like, name this thing fajita. They named it Rosie, but it was like this cute little dog that was at the lodge for years after that. Uh, it did end up passing away a couple of years ago, but um, it was crazy. Like my group had always had this, every trip had something crazy to it. And anyway, that was that year and fishing was good. It was still the burrito bite. Um, and I'm kind of that person that once I catch a big fish on something, like my goal was to catch a 10 on a jig and, um, I caught several nines. I don't think I did break 10 that second year, but that was my first time running the full group of 20 guys from Utah. Yeah. Oh, from alone. Well, and we had some from uh, like Texas that year, Yeah. but it was like, I was in charge of 20. And it, it, it was my first time doing that. So I was more focused on, well, I shouldn't say that I was fishing my ass off, but it was like, I wanted to make sure everybody had a good time.
2: Yeah, and
1: yeah. I don't remember if it was 2019, I'd have to go back and look at like Instagram or whatever. Um, and the years have kind of blended together, honestly. Yeah. I'd have to go look at notes. Cause that second year, it was like a big worm, a ten inch bullworm was the bite that year on a Texas rig, and the water was a lot lower than the year before. Um, but I want to say that was when our Shannon, this girl from Oklahoma, caught a ten on like a three inch or a four inch hollow belly oh on a spinning God. rod, and that oh was gosh. that was pretty cool, yeah, giant fish.
2: Damn dude, oh, was it so ask? oh yeah look. i'd have to
1: I'd have to look at my notes for that.
0: What was, I guess, uh, kind of making it a little bit easier on you. What was the last year you went, what was it like the last year you went? So would that have been 2022?
1: Yeah. Uh The water was high. Um, and so let's, let's go back in 2019, we found the dog on the shore in 2020. That's when we stayed for two weeks Mm -hmm. and two of the guys in my, my group got in a fight at the lodge, like out in the parking lot and CJ's cj's there this is actually a crazy story because i was there for a week with my group and then the next week was the universe trip so i got to meet a bunch of guys um through that that i otherwise wouldn't have but yeah during my week two guys got in a fight in the parking lot so we were like that was the joke of that week um and the year after that there was a hurricane like that hit cabo and made its way up north but it was it like every year we were there, something crazy happened. So it was, it was interesting. But it, it, it fishing was always good. And that hurricane year, that was the year they were on the jig. And it was like every morning or afternoon, you'd go out there and catch at least an eight or a nine on that jig. Um, I don't think I broke ten that year either, though. But anyway, oh, I had that's when I was sick. Anyway, um, what was your question? What are we? What were we on? Oh, oh this last question? year. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, my it was a this last year it was a big topwater bite and spinnerbait bite. They were on like a smaller shad profile. So uh like a three-inch popper caught a ton of fish in the upper nine. Uh I dumped that one that was double digit for sure. Um and I'm trying to think of what else fish were eating. I think people were catching them on a lipless too, like a half ounce lipless.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds like something I remember seeing.
1: Yeah, but it's you could go if you want to go throw something, uh, like if you want to go learn a technique, that's the place to do it because those fish are active and they're aggressive. And there was so what, it was 2020, like I said, when we stayed two weeks. I had caught my 10:13, let's say day six. Brian, this my friend Brian caught a topwater ten on day five. Day seven is when the Swimbait Universe crew showed up, and I got paired. I got paired up with Chris Hudson from um, somewhere in New Hampshire or Mass area, and it was his first trip. And I'm like, man, we've been catching fish on you know topwaters and swimbaits, and I'm gonna throw this bull shad. I had caught like an eight eleven on the bull shad. And I asked him, "You have a mega dog?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Tie it on and just start throwing it as close to the bank as you can." Yeah. Well, he popped a ten four within an hour of his first trip to Baccarat, and uh, we call it the cycle when you go from like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Yeah. Like Pound fish. If you like, if you do that in your a week, hell yeah, you did the cycle. Chris did it day one. He went he had a ten, a nine, a eight, a seven, a six, a five, a four, a three. I mean, obviously you don't weigh them once they get below a certain size, but he had every every fish his first day on everything from a jig to a topwater to a hard swim bait. Just again, unbelievable. And his trip was made day one.
0: Damn, dude. That is that is freaking crazy. That's that's an experience right there that you're only Probably definitely gonna get down there for sure.
1: Yeah, well, and it's cool because like you know when it's a big fish. So fortunately, like I've had a lot of big fish get caught on film. I've been able to catch a lot of people's fish on film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: um In that second week with the Universe Group, you know, I got to meet Pasong, um, Chris, Ross. So going back to Ross, he, I, ne- I didn't even know who Ross was, and that was the trip where he like won it through the swim bait universe yeah, for all the yeah. stuff that he does for the community. And it's like this. the second day, I come walking out of my room early in the morning. It's dark. It's like four 30 in the morning. I come walking out and here comes Ross, like running out of the kitchen, looking like a zombie, like redhead Ross beard's yeah. just on point. He comes running in front of me, making these crazy noises. And he just starts puking. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? Is wrong with that guy. And he turns over and looks at me and he's like, it was Spam. And oh. there was like Spam in his breakfast. Yeah. So I'm always joking with him like on the, on the forums, like, oh, Spam made you sick again. But he, yeah, I guess his body just refuses to digest Spam. So anyway, he ran out there and started puking. And um, I was laughing so hard. I, I, don't, I couldn't even eat breakfast. But it was another memory made, you know, with old Ross Boss.
0: Yeah, yeah. Somebody, I have heard that story from somebody. It had to have been like Wayne or Chad or something and mentioned oh. it to me. Like maybe, maybe I said something to Chad and he asked if I liked spam or, or something along those <laughs> lines. I feel like it's probably how that got brought up.
1: That's what that goes back to. And, you know, like again, Scott with Hog Farmer was there that trip. And I've told like five dudes in my life that I love them. And one was CJ and one was Scott with Hog Farmer. And that dude, you should see if you can get him on the podcast because he tells stories that will make you cry. But he'll yeah. probably just be like, what? I don't want to do that. But yeah, he's the man. And uh, again, he was down there just having a good time and made some memories with him. And again, like Friends for Life from one week down at a lodge in Mexico. Right. And yep. you, you had Pasong on the show, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. He was on probably episode 60 or 70. Because, yeah. dude, he, it, I mean... If you got to talk to him in person, when I met him at the gathering in Virginia this last year, I knew who he was, but I, I wasn't like necessarily out of my shell about talking to people. But him and yeah. I have talked quite a bit now, like over phone and text and stuff, and having having him on the podcast, dude. Like his story, nobody else is in the swimbait world has a story like his. I mean, just absolutely yeah. crazy, man.
1: Wild. One of the best people you can meet. And we hit it off immediately, right? And he was fishing with this guy, Bart, and just great people. Fun fun to put faces to names. Anyway, we were out at the Palapa one night just hanging out, you know, like listening to the geckos, drinking beer. Yeah. And it's late. I'm hanging out with Scott, and I think he's talking to me about, like, Strombolis because he can't <laughs> believe that we don't have Stromboli places in Utah. And his goal in life is to put one out here because he says we will be millionaires. Anyway. Pasang comes walking out of his room with his shirt off. And sorry Pasang, if I'm putting you on blast, but he comes walking out and he's like, "Hey, can someone come and turn off the shower?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man, let me come help you." So I got to go walking in there and the shower is like off the wall. Like the shower head. <laughs> this is before they remodeled and the sh- it's just like water is shooting out. Shooting out, yeah. Like exorcist throw up. And I'm just I'm like, "What did you do?" And his Pason he didn't know. So I can't get it to shut off. I'm just laughing my ass off. And it's like two in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) So we go wake up Chad. Chad goes crawling through. He's like trying to shut off the water and it's not working. Passong and I are just having a good old time, like giggling like kids. And all of a sudden Bart wakes up from the dead and he's like, I'm a plumber. And starts crawling around this like storage area to find this (laughs) thing. And come to find out like we're pulling the shower apart. And yeah, it took quite a bit of work to get the water off. but. I just thought Passang had had too many margaritas that he forgot to turn a shower off when really yeah, it was. Break the shower like, head. <laughs> you flooding the room, and luckily Bart was his roommate because I don't know what we would have done, but only a backer Oh
0: my gosh, dude. That, that is so funny. I mean, that is so badass. It's so funny to hear. And, dude, like, it's gotten like. I would think pretty popular. I mean, Buka has a group, Universe Group, your group, and then top of everybody else. I mean, have you seen it like gotten gotten big from that first year you went? I mean, have you seen an uptick in in people and seeing like posts of people posting
1: about it and stuff? Yeah, and it's cool because you you like there's other people that might not be a part of your group. There was some guy that created like the Bass Forecast app. We met him while we were down there. There was a NBA player; don't remember his name, but he was down there. It's not just like these diehard fishermen that you'd expect. We had some farmers from Texas. Um, It's kind of like there's there's guys and their wife. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's an amazing place to go, and yeah, it has gotten more popular with social media just because you know you're able to like broadcast to so many people.
2: Yeah.
1: but yeah, it, it was cool because you're able to kind of meet people from all over that you normally wouldn't, you know, um, brothers from Minnesota or people from Florida and kind of make these memories together. And again, build friendships, you know, Steve Sapir, I met him, he was we overlapped one day and uh, we still talk all the time and we, we've stayed in touch from just that like one day hanging out smoking cigars in Mexico.
0: Damn, dude! I mean, it's literally just an experience that you you have to go experience for yourself. Like, we you, I mean, we could talk about this for three hours, and I would just yeah. be giddy over the moon. But until I go do it, it's like I'm just living vicarious through through the stories you're telling me right now. It's just oh my gosh, man! It's so crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, what's like I said earlier, like it changed the way I fish. So I I came home. And during COVID, like all of our lakes got so busy in Utah with like water skiers and fishermen that, uh, I would just pack up my dog and go on like these week weekend trips, places to go explore new lakes. Um, this guy, you know, I saw this guy talking about wipers and I'm like, huh, it's been a while. Let's go chase wipers. Um, anyway, uh. I, I told a friend like, "Hey, let's go down and check it out." He went. He he was able to go before I could, so we were going to go on like Friday. He ended up going on Tuesday, and he sends me a picture of like a ten pounder, and he's like, "Dude, this is insane! This is amazing!" I go down there, and you know, I drive like three hours, whatever it was. I spend two days on the lake, and I catch one that was like nine pounds on top water, and that's it for two days. You know, six hours of driving, but I was out. At a new lake with my dog and learning like applying some of the stuff i learned in mexico right mm-hmm. so i go down like a week later and conditions just seemed right the weather was good the, the the water temperature had cooled a little bit dude and i like third cast i catch a 10 pounder on uh a, on a understand wow um and that day that was a saturday i caught 22 over eight pounds that day and uh got a fly fisherman into like I'm out there, and this fly fisherman was asking about it, so we got him into a few fish, and just insane. But it was it was going. They had just planted some trout, and mm-hmm. the, they were eating. That next day, I, I knew right where they were at. So again, I go out there the next day, and I caught like five fish in the first thirty minutes, and then uh, fishing a swim bait the way we do it back rack. I got bit. The fish came off same cast like reeling it in i got bit again and it ended up being the state record wiper um by like a half an inch or something oh wow so but it it was because i was fishing the the burrito the same way we do down in mexico Mm -hmm. um and so that was kind of cool to see that come around and anyway that trip was something special of course i'm thinking i'm like top dog king kong i go back yeah. the next week and same thing two days one fish granted it was 11 pounds um but it was the only bite i got in like two and a half days of fishing and unfortunately that lake pretty much dried up and uh they had made some regulation changes to where those fish are no longer there but that that one day that one weekend in october will go down I, I mean it's in it's in the record book now but i'll never forget that day and a lot of those guides in Mexico taught me how to catch that fish even though it was a wiper in Utah and they have no idea what that is.
0: Yeah, dude, damn. Um, final question that I have about Mexico is do you travel with your own gear or do you rent your stuff out from the shop down there?
1: Yeah, so the first couple years we traveled with rods and that's that's fine, but it's kind of a pain going through Mexico City and having to like get the rod off the carousel, go back and check it. And yeah. then coming home, they always try and like charge you double mm-hmm. and say it's overweight or over length or whatever. What? Um, but Chad and the lodge has done such a good job of stocking Dobbins and Okumas and I rods. They've got a couple, like a hundred rods at the lodge and the rental is so cheap that the last three years we've gone, I've just, I've t- taken my tackle and my reels but rented rods. Um, and like I said last year, it wasn't very much a jig bite. It was more like spinner bait and top water. So I was able to kind of put stuff back and say, Hey, you know, I want to swap this out for a different rod. And uh, yeah, that way if I take down four swim bait rods and it's just not happening, right. I'm stuck throwing. That way you're not getting stuck with like five rods, five swim bait rods. If they're on a crank bait, top water, Jigbyte, you know it's it's super convenient and they've got high quality stuff so the last three years i've just rented
0: heck yeah man um i think i think that was everything i had as far as questions go let me let me look over our questions real quick see if there's anything i'm missing here nothing that i I overlooked nothing that i had wrote down that i had thought about talking about is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up here
1: Um, no, I think we're good. I mean, we, we, we didn't really talk about tiger fishing. I don't know if you care about tiger muskies. That's kind of swim baby, but
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, let's talk about that. Cause that is, um, I had Grady on and Grady kind of talked about that a little bit, but we didn't get like super in depth to it. So yeah. What, what's your experience been like with, with tiger musky? Because I mean, I mean that that's wicked. I'll say that is freaking crazy. What what's your experience been like since you started, or when you started to target those?
1: Yeah, so we've got some pretty good um, tiger fisheries out here where it, we've actually like worked with the DWR to stock them. And mm-hmm. what was cool is years ago we would catch a fish, and those tigers have like a fingerprint pattern to them almost, where you can. We would catch the same fish a couple years later, and be like, "Oh, that's the fish Bryce caught." you know, two years ago. Um, So we could match them up and see how much they had grown. And we, we started tagging them with the DWR to kind of keep track and population control and growth rate and, you Mm -hmm. know, number of males versus females. So it became like a science um, that we were working alongside them with. But, you know, I've had, we've had some amazing days where we've had like eight fish in the boat and we've, like I said, gone 10 trips where you don't even get a bite they're the most frustrating fish to face, but when you get one, it's the most rewarding. And they're by far, like, the prettiest fish you're ever going to see. Um, because they almost, like, change color from green to blue to purple to gray. They're they're mysterious, but they're a super cool fish.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> they've got, I mean, to see the one that Josh from Big Fish Bullies posts up, I mean, they've got some just wicked colors. they got, like, that green, blue iridescent look to them i mean they are just
1: absolute beautiful fish yeah and they we have like i said we've got some high elevation lakes i don't know what it is but the fish when they get to a certain size and they just get like crazy big i mean my friend joe i mentioned he has a 52 my gosh 52 incher there's been there's like a 50 or 50 to 51 caught every year not very common but um like, I, my biggest was 49, and I caught that fish in solo out of a 12 foot aluminum boat. Um, and it bit on the third cast of the day and was the only fish I caught in two days. But, uh, netting that fish and like the way that went down was something I'll never forget. I've been trying to catch one bigger for years and haven't been fortunate enough, but they're, uh, they act a lot like a bass, but they, it seems like they use their eyes a lot more too. Um, But yeah, it's, it's crazy to see a, like a four foot fish chase down your bait from 20 feet away. And even more so now that we have live scope, um, because it's insane how fast fish can move and, uh, especially fish that are that big.
2: Yeah, dude. And what
0: was the experience like, had you always targeted them with swim baits? Like when you got into it, had you already been fishing swim baits or had you been targeting these fish prior to that?
1: Um, it was kind of at the same time, so it it the fish are like super particular in what they're eating, and they'll get on they'll get on some crappie schools and move out deeper, they'll get on perch most of these lakes that they're in now get so busy with wakeboard boats and just boat traffic in general that it can have an impact on like the water clarity um so you've got to kind of use lures that are either obnoxiously colored or like make quite a commotion mm-hmm. Um, so it would be like a loud rattling bait or, you know, I've caught fish on the MS Slammer, but there's, I have like wooden lures and they've got fish teeth in them from when you set the hook and it like busts their teeth off. Yeah. Yeah. And it can make it hard to connect with those fish simply because they, they've got such a, like a, their teeth sunk into the bait already that you have to move it so far. But, uh, the Huddleston has worked the Slammer like the savage gear baits, you know, like there was the foreplay and the jointed foreplay. Yeah. Um, it just kind of depends on the year and what the water's doing. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it, and it, it's just weird because some fish are super keyed in. And then we have trolled for them where my friend and I, Joe, we went out there and we both showed up with like a 12 pack. We have pictures of all these fish. I think we caught, that was the day we caught eight. But we only remember like two or three, and <laughs> it's where we coined the the term sh- like fishing is a shit show because we were trolling like four rods, and I I don't like trolling for them all that much. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's something about like a big fish eat. The other thing is they'll eat at your feet, right? Like I know uh, Alec talked about that in one episode where like the figure eight. Until you've caught a tiger in the figure eight, it's it's hard to explain how quick it happens and how big of a rush that is. But you literally black out and you can't remember like what happened or where or how it's just all of a sudden you're, you're handcuffed to this like alligator looking thing and it's giving you everything it's got. Yeah, dude, I want to, I want to
0: catch <clears throat> just a normal muskie from the paddle board. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of reliving through you of trying to catch one on a tube. That's, that's like my goal for this summer is to catch one on the paddle board. Cause that would be some wicked stuff to experience. I mean, that'd be so crazy.
1: Yeah, you'll never forget it. I promise you that because they're, they're a fish that's hard to forget. and I bet you'd get addicted to it because they fight a lot different than any bass. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, what's your
0: biggest one that you've caught on a, on a swim bait? And then if, if you have a bigger one without a swim bait.
1: Biggest one on a swim bait was 46. Uh, I've got a couple 45s and a 46 on swim baits and then a uh, 48 on a topwater, and a 40 that 49 was on a bucktail um i'm trying to think I, I know i've got a couple 47s but i want to say they were all on what you'd classify as conventional as well so like you've seen the big bulldog the big piece of rubber yeah, that the weighs big, like a pound like medusas and stuff <laughs> like that yeah there was one year where the water was low and they were on that um, but yeah, forty, forty five, forty six 45, 46 is the biggest I've had on a swim bait and I'm sure I could get bigger if I put the time in, but it's, it's gotten busy. And, uh, anyway, that lake, those lakes that they have them, they just seem to fluctuate so much. It can, it can be pretty, a test of patience, but they're in there. And this,
0: here's a good question to kind of round it off on, on fishing in your area are the fish temperamental with the weather like are they are they like a northern strain where they they don't mind you know a 15 degree drop at night whereas like the southern strain like california or texas fish like you know drops 10 degrees at night and those fish just don't know what to do the next day like they are so confused or do your fish kind of have some leniency and, and will eat if if it if that kind of weather weather paint bleh, weather change slash weather pattern does happen
1: Yeah, I've noticed. I think what happens is the air temperature drops so quickly with this, like, like, high elevation desert air. Um, I've never had a good night fishing for either muskies or bass. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know there's guys that do. You see the guys back east that have, like, humidity where it stays relatively warmer at night. Yeah. And they catch fish all the time. But I've tried full moon. I've tried new moon. I've tried, like, quarter moon. I've tried during a storm. I've tried during increasing temps decreasing temps all of it i think what happens is that water drop that water temp drops so quickly that uh, the fish kind of shut off as well yeah. uh, unless there might be some certain times a year where like if they're moving up to spawn they're going to be there but like i try and leave them alone during that time the the thing that gets weird out here is water fluctuations right because like lake powell it's come up 45 feet in 30 the last 30 days yeah, this is the highest it's been in a long time, right? Like in the last two or yeah. three years. And when you think about how much water that is, it's like a hundred miles long. It's insane that it's coming up a foot a day, like that that amount of water. And all of our lakes are flooding right now. We got nine hundred inches this winter of snow, and that's you know like seventy feet. Yeah. In 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 four months, it's all of our lakes are full. They're dirty, and uh, it's good for the the lakes, but we're definitely getting like a something we haven't seen in years which is you know you've got to adapt fishing wise because uh they're still in there it's just that they're not used to it either
0: yeah and speaking of adapting what so a lot of guys um whereas you keep notes about mexico and stuff obviously there are guys who We'll keep little index cards about every day, write down all, you know, the moon phase, the pressure, the humidity, air temp, highs, lows, moonrise, rise, moon sets, that sort of thing, moon phase. Yeah. Are you the type of guy to maybe not necessarily plan trips around that, but are those things, are there certain things that you pay attention to, to kind of decide if it's going to be a good day or if you're just going out to cast or do you just, if you have time, you're going no matter what, you don't care.
1: Yeah, it kind of depends if I'm, the more I got into tournament fishing, the more I started paying attention to data like that and looking back at records and time of year and moon phase and water level and water temp and all of that. And it definitely, there's a pattern to that, right? Uh, Where you can like go back to the same spots, the same water level, the same time of year with the same bait and be successful. Um, But it's, yeah, it, it, As far as like going back, I have an Excel spreadsheet that I keep so I can search by moon phase, by lake, by date, by whatever. Um, And I put everything in there, like whether it was windy, what the water temp was. I I think the more data, the better. And that's something that kind of came from tournament fishing uh, more than anything, because I wanted to be able to like look back on either success or failure but it's, it's definitely become a critical role. I don't plan my trips around it, but it helps me decide on what I'm going to plan to do that day simply because it either might've worked or might not have worked in the past.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I feel like, I don't know, I, a lot of guys are probably like, yeah, if I get to fish today, I'm going to go fish. And I've started to, Started to pay attention to moon rises, moon sets, and then pressure is just always kind of a thing that I had paid attention to for some reason or another. It's just, yeah. for some reason, I don't know, but I mean, more times than not, if I can go fish, I'm going to go fish. And then I'll look after, i like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I fished today. You know, it's, it, <laughs> it's a quartering moon phase. I should have waited until, you know, next week. And I'm like, oh, well, I got to go, so I can't complain too
2: much.
1: Yeah, well, and I watched those, Big Bass Dreams and Southern Trout Eaters. And I used to watch all those and then get hyped and go fish. And same thing. Be like, why yeah. Why was I doing that? Yeah. Um, but it, that's one of those things that I think you just have to go through as a fisherman. And it, like you said, adapt and learn and kind of learn from your mistakes. Because when I got into swim baits, that's all I wanted to do. That's all I threw. And I was getting my ass kicked by guys going out there and throwing a jig yeah. or a crankbait. And I'm like, all right, this is this work, but I need to know when to pick it up and when to put it down. And that's kind of what I've learned over the last few years is, Hey, this has a time and place. It doesn't have to be always, but uh, just knowing that it's a tool that I can pull out when I need to is that that's been fun to look at and realize. Yeah. Um,
0: next question I have for you, kind of wrapping it up here. What is your coolest musky experience that you've had with a swim bait? Whether it's just an absolute massive topwater blow up or being able to watch one eat boatside, what, or maybe what, what's a couple of your coolest experiences you've had with these just absolutely phenomenal
1: fish that you get to target? Um, it was, it would be on live scope watching Ooh, one where it was, yeah. it was busting a school of bait and I, I was watching it happen. Like, I, I panned over to it and saw it and knew immediately what was happening. And I'm trying to, like, create that image in my head. So I threw a, a huddleston over there and uh, just slow rolling it above this fish. And I watch it, like, turn around, come up. It moved 17 feet in seconds. And it's falling my bait. It's falling my bait. It's falling my bait. And a jet skier comes between the shore and I, which was, oh, like, no. 50 feet. I watched this fish was in the figure eight at that point, and it bailed out. And uh, I'm pissed. I'm I'm with my wife. This before we were even married. And speaking of which, man, I met my I met my wife on the plane. Not to get on off subject, but coming home from Baccarat, I sat next to my wife on the plane. No way. Um, the first yeah, first year. Back, no, 2019. And so Dang. so I get back from Mexico, and everyone's like. Hey, how was your trip? And I was like, I'm good, but I met this chick. And yeah, we got married, you know, two years later. So I, yeah. I always joke with Chad, like, yeah, Lake Bacharach changed my life because it's where I found my wife, but it was on the plane ride home. Um, but getting back to that, right, I'm with my wife, my fiance at the time, to show her a tiger. This fish bells out of the figure eight. I'm pissed. I'm like yelling at that jet skier. And she's like, it's okay. It'll come back. And I'm like, these fish don't come back. They're smarter yeah. than that." I pan over, I see that fish again, like going back to that school of bait and uh, throw the Huddleston over, get its attention again, kind of speeding it up and giving some speed reels. Because like I said, the water's a little dirty. These fish need something, whether it be speed or color, to trigger them. And uh, fish gets behind the bait again. It's coming in. I'm like, oh, it's going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. Get it to go into the figure eight to where I can like see the bait, but I can't see the fish, but I know it's there and all of a sudden just straight up this thing comes and takes the bait in sideways and disappears the huddleston. And I mean, I'm just sitting there like, like I said, handcuffed and uh, telling my wife to get the net and she's screaming like, what do I do? What do I do? And I mean, you've seen those big fray bill nets. It's, it's kind of chaotic, but um, yeah, it would be that it's where I know that fish is there, but I can't see it. And then all of a sudden you just see this mouth, your bait disappear and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah it's you have four feet of line out and yeah it's it's chaos until that fish is in the net which usually doesn't take long but that was probably the coolest experience I've had with a swim bait and a tiger that's so sick man
0: and I gotta ask you and you seem like a man of culture so you might have seen it do you know who Aaron Weeb is the uncut angling guy
2: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: did you want this was like Live target, or live scope, live target, whatever the hell it is. It just, maybe not necessarily just coming out, but it started like being readily available. This was like 2020, 2019, where him and his dad are vertical jigging for, for Muskie and Pike off the side of his boat with it. Do you Have you seen that video? Well, uh, no, I haven't. Dude, so they're vertical jigging like with these bulldogs and uh, Medusas or whatever, whatever else it is. Mm -hmm. And they've got the down imaging one and literally this, this, I think it was a pike that Aaron had caught. And I've talked about this a a couple times on the podcast, but it's literally so cool. And this fish turns. So it's uh, kind of parallel with the, or with the uh, sonar uh, transducer. And you can literally see the fins of this fish. You can see the dorsal fins, the anal fins. You can see the pec fins sitting down like on the underside of it dude it is literally the coolest thing and they end up getting this fish to corkscrew back like a lake trout corkscrew back and rise at the same time and smash this bait dude yep. it is honestly probably the coolest like coolest live target musky cast to catch there there is i mean it's just the circumstances behind it and the clear picture you get like he had to be running the best settings ever for what they were doing it's just yep. absolutely mind blowing and i'm pretty sure it's the thumbnail of the video so if you guys haven't seen it, you don't even have to go watch the video. you can just look at the thumbnail. It is absolutely ridiculous. And that, that was where I was like, whoa, like I need to catch one of these or either, either a really big pike or I just want to catch a muskie because these fish are just
1: ferocious as all get out. Yeah. If you ever want to come out and chase them, man, we can spend a couple of days out on the lake. Cause like I said, that exact same thing happened. And I, I thought I understood these fish and kind of what they do and how they eat and until I saw that all go down, I couldn't believe it. And now it's like, Oh, it clicks. It makes so much sense. And, uh, I don't know, man, that obviously live scope's been banned in some of the musky tournaments for good reason. But, uh, when it all comes together and it happens like that and you watch it either with your eyes at the boat or on your live scope, it's, it's ridiculous and it's a lot of fun. So if you ever want to come out, man, I'm, I'm ready to go whenever you are. And we can we can go chase these stupid fish until we boat one get get pissed off together <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, they do that for sure but if if you see one it's a good day and when you get to put your hands on one it's even better
0: yeah man um last question what is the gear that you that you trust to tango with these big big pi- or bleh, geez, big musky big bass, big striper, whatever, what's the stuff that, what's the stuff that sits on your deck that you're ready to pick up and, you know, zip in there to catch a fish at, at any time? What are the rods and reels and in line and even maybe the hooks if you run certain hooks or whatever it may
1: be? Yeah, good question. It depends a lot on the bait I'm fishing, obviously, whether it's like a hard bait or a soft bait and, and how fast that bait's moving. Um, can you still hear me?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're good. The robot like cut out or something or other, but we're good. It's recording again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it depends on the bait and how fast that bait's moving because a soft bait, you got to set a little bit harder than you would with like a hard bait, right. And a treble hook. Yeah. Um, but so I use, it's kind of a mix. I use some Dobbins rods. I use, I actually Savage gear had a rod called the browser series. Oh my gosh. I loved that rod. You might've hated it. I still have mine. I loved it. it, dude. I use that. Like, more than anything there's are those Savage Gear browser rods. Um in the Okumas is how I got started was like the guide select. Um reels are anywhere between like a Shimano Curado 301 to a Daiwa 301. And I've even messed with some of the Abu Garcia stuff. Um it all just depends on like gear ratio and what like which one I'm gonna use, but the line, right? Like I, I only use 80 pound braid at a minimum. Mm-hmm. And a hundred pound floral leader at a minimum, and uh kind of remove all error herb chances or possibilities of error, but uh yeah, hooks I mean obviously i try I try and upgrade everything because you know it's just like that fish and backer like the one the one time you get the bite you want, if you're not prepared for it, it's going to end in heartbreak so i yeah. I tend to upsize everything uh just to make sure there's no there's no room for error but even then you can't always they don't always eat it the way you want them to and you can't always put them in the boat but they're uh yeah the, the, the stiffer the rod it seems like the more often you get them in the boat so extra extra heavies and you know button down drag seem to be the ticket
0: hell yeah man what uh do you have any any certain uh reels that you fish over other ones or you just kind of whatever you got is what you fish.
1: You know, the more I spend using Daiwa, the more I, the more I've invested into those, mm-hmm. um, and I've just been impressed all the way from like their hundred size reel, you know, pitching a quarter ounce jig to rocks at Pal, all the way to a three hundred size Lexa or Tatula, you know, throwing a sixteen ounce. I, I try not to throw that stuff on that reel, but um, you know, to a big swim bait or a big bucktail, it, it Daiwa has a reel that handles it all. So. And in, in gear ratio too, you know, a lot of guys fish high gear ratios for tigers, whereas I'm fishing a five-three to one or a six-three to one most times because I want that power. I want that once they bite, I, you know, I I don't want there to be that slip or that give. It's I, I fish lower power than some simply because I feel like I get more uh, more force or more more torque. I should I should say yeah but Daiwa I've been impressed with their casting their their drag all of it it's that's kind of where I'm at and what I'm moving forward with hell yeah dude I like uh I've got the older um crap what is
0: it the old CT the tat CT I think oh yeah 200 size dude that reel is stupid light and I can go from slinging a three quarter ounce jig to turn around and fishing a weightless Senko without even having to touch the drag. Like that reel is like my go to. That thing is badass. If I'm not fishing a swim bait, anything else I'm fishing is getting fished on that reel.
1: Yeah, I've been impressed with them. And like I said, I still have, you know, Shimano Curados, the old Mm -hmm. green ones and the DSVs. And I like those too. They have their time and their place. But I, I know what I'm getting with. That Daiwa. And like you said, changing baits isn't a problem. So being out on the water, I think it just makes you a little bit more efficient um, and prepared for really any situation you might face.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you kind of hit it on the head there. And another guy, um, Daryl up in Washington, he's a big Daiwa guy too. And he said uh, the difference, he, the, he, had, I think kind of explained it perfect because I I've experienced this The difference between Shimano and Daiwa is you buy a shimano and it's smooth but it gets super geary and he said with a dial he's like you buy it and it, it's geary but it gets super smooth once you break it in and i feel like he kind of hit that hit the nail on the head with that for sure
1: oh yeah those after a couple trips to mexico and catching those wipers like my my curados i need to send them back to uh his name's michael Mello. he lives back the real deal is the name yep, of that company yeah, yeah. Anyway, I've got three that if I were to if I were to like pick these things up and start reeling them next to the phone, you would think it was a coffee grinder, dude. But. I
0: I have a karate okay, K that's the same way. I took it down to Texas and Marshall picked it up and like spun it. And he's like, oh my gosh, dude. He's like, this thing like you have sand in here, and he tears it apart. And yeah, there's there's about half a Lake Michigan beachfront in there. Oh my like, god. He's like, you don't you don't clean these things. I'm like, no, dude. Like I I set them on the riverbank when I catch a fish and take a picture, and I I put the fish back. <laughs> And yeah, I need to get all of my reels serviced. I am absolutely abusive with my gear, and I need to show it some love this next winter because, man, I picked I picked up a, a I had a newer Corrado that I never fished, and I casted a 316 Rising Sun, casted it out there, and I was reeling it, and I thought like my drag was super loose because it was just like coming in so smooth, and I looked down, and the reel was just pristine that it didn't have any crap or gunk in there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this reel is so much smoother than my 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 normal swimming setup. So I'm like, yeah, I need yeah. to make a change
1: here. Well, and I found that if you enjoy using it, you'll use it more often, right? So like that sounds dumb, but if you if you're using it and have confidence in it, because honestly these kimonos are making so much noise, I'm wondering sometimes, can the fish feel this or hear this through this fluorocarbon line? like is this yeah. putting off some sort of noise that's making it so they might not bite whereas if i'm making a cast and i'm like man this cast good and this feels good and this is smooth coming in it just gives me that confidence that hey i'm in the right position doing the right thing at the right time and you know the right thing will happen but i've that's something i've seen in the last few years whereas you get like quality gear and it can make a day on the water so much different because you enjoy you enjoy the setup and uh the results show from that
0: yeah it uh it just you have a better time i feel like is just all it comes down to if you're out there and you're having a good
1: time then you're just going to fish better well and we've all you've all we've all had that day where you fish with someone and all they do is have issues or backlash or picking and you're just like man i'm glad i'm not that guy but it can, your, deer, your gear can definitely make a difference between a good day and a bad day. And sometimes all it takes is one cast to uh, change, your, change your day, change your year, change who knows what, right? So, yeah, yeah. The, the more good cast you get, the better chances you have at hooking that good fish. And right. I, if, over time, again, going back to stats and data, like go back to the things that work well for me. And that happens to be those Diawas. So, Hell yeah, man. Uh
0: closing it up, what are the social medias? What's the Instagram? Uh if you have a YouTube channel that you post into your back or X stuff, uh shout it out if you got it.
1: Well, yeah, I haven't really posted to YouTube very much. I noticed that like filming took away from my focus on the water, right? It kind of distracted me a little bit. Yeah. I'll like pull out my phone and start filming stuff if I want to capture the moment. But uh on Instagram it's just creep. It's T underscore R underscore E underscore E underscore P used to be TNT fishing and had all these other names, but was like, whatever, we'll just, we'll just go to that. Treep was my nickname growing up. There you go. Um, And yeah, I really don't have, I I mean, Facebook, Trevor Tippets, but I don't have a ton of uh, stuff out there. Um, Just kind of focusing on catching the fish. (laughs) I don't
0: blame you, man. I mean, you were talking about fish that I was like, oh my gosh, like no idea you had caught those fish like and and that's always fun like it's fun who the guys who aren't necessarily caught up in the social media stuff and they don't post you know all these huge fish they catch and you get to talk to them and they just drop the drop like oh yeah like that day we caught you know 10 over 9 you know whatever else it may be and it's just like oh my gosh like how come i've never seen these pictures like it's always a lot of fun to hear about the stuff guys are holding back on
1: Yeah. Well, and I always looked at, you know, like with those forums and swim bait universe, right? Like the people I look up to the most in swim bait fishing, I've never seen them do a mail call. I've never seen them post a picture of their collection. they're, They're focusing on, you know, the next bite and the next fish and how to make that happen. And there's a lot of, you know, the Facebook group and social media has brought a lot of good fishermen out to the masses and, I respect a lot of those guys you see on that forum, like Johnny Ellis and, you know, there are people in all over the country that you can look up to and, you know, hold themselves to a high standard. And I think it's good for fishing in general, but, uh, yeah, that was just something I noticed was like, you know, man, I'm, I'm going to focus less on posting pictures of these cool baits and Mm -hmm. more on the results. So I don't know. Yeah, man. But uh, yeah, as always,
0: I'll put your uh, Instagram in the show notes so people can go follow you if they don't already. So after, yeah, <clears throat> oh my gosh, frog in my throat. After you guys follow uh, Trevor, make sure you guys turn around and follow the Instagram, the the podcast Instagram, if you don't already. Scales and Tails underscore podcast. Uh, trying to think when you guys will hear this. Um, make sure if you guys haven't already, give the show, uh, give the give the podcast a, a rating on your listening platform. Uh, and then patreon if you guys don't already subscribe to the patreon they get early access to the zine every uh, every quarter when the zine drops they automatically get entered into the sticker giveaway and then they get all the behind the scenes stuff so uh five five or ten dollars a month you can enter into get some pretty cool stuff and get first dibs on on some current on some ideas that i've been working on here currently in the last couple of weeks uh i think i think that's everything i'm probably missing something When you guys are hearing this hopefully the the zine pre-order will be open, so make sure you guys go grab one of those if you don't already. I think this one blows the first issue out of the water. This one is so much better, in my opinion, so much cooler. And it's almost 30 pages longer than the first one, so that's, that's something to look forward to also. But other than that, I think that's about everything I have. I need to start writing stuff down so I can wrap these up a little bit better, but oh well. I want to thank Trevor for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode because this episode was... A lot of fun, dude i I was not expecting to be hit with like a nostalgic feeling that I never even experienced like hearing you talk about this and getting to live through your stories. it was like, Wow, like that was the heyday like that in my opinion, that was like the heyday of fishing and and swim bait fishing and stuff, and I'm just so jealous that I didn't get to experience it like that.
1: well, I appreciate you having me on to share some of that stuff and. I respect the hustle. I see what you've done in a short amount of time and I appreciate you having me on and what you do for the swim bait community. And I think you're bringing a lot of people together and kind of giving swim baits a voice. So keep up the good work and I'll be back on anytime.
0: Heck yeah, I appreciate it, man.
1: What if, uh, what if we get you on
0: after your trip? to baccarat this year you and uh one of the people that go down with you what if we do like a little round table about baccarat about your guys' trip down there this year that'd be that'd be pretty cool we could do something like that
1: yeah that'd be that'd be sweet hell yeah Yeah. man
0: so uh so yeah keep your guys keep your guys eyes out open or yeah keep your guys's eyes open for that because i think (laughs) that would be that'd be a lot of be a lot of fun to hear about uh your guys' experience down there oh what uh do you have any open spots in your groups or is it pretty much filled essentially every time you open it up?
1: Yeah, so we're going down I want to say it's the third week of November this year. Um and there's there's the lodge can fit up to I think it's 26 people. Um, 28 I
0: think is what I saw on the website earlier when I looked.
1: Yeah, so we always try and keep the keep it or the groups around a size of 20. Um reach out to myself uh, or Chad, meaning he's he's kind of the guy that's in charge of the lodge and the booking. But reach out to me. I'd love to get you in my group. Or like you mentioned, there's the Universe group. Luca does a group. If it doesn't fit with your schedule, there is a time we can find you to get in on that group and get great pricing. So reach out to me. Shoot me any messages, any questions. I'm happy to talk about it. Go over packing lists. Go over like what to expect, how to navigate the airport, kind of everything from top to bottom. So. Happy to help, and I'd love to hear other people make some memories down there.
0: Heck yeah, man. And then I'll also put uh, the Bacharach Lodge website in the in the description. So if you guys want to kind of go poke around before before you hit up Trevor and ask him any questions, maybe the site will even answer them too for you. So I want to thank Trevor for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Now we'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys.